Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you here on a freezing cold week in uh, in, in Central Florida. But uh, wow, did we have a a busy week uh, indeed, guys? Have you gotten out the uh, Have you gotten out the winter clothing this week? I, I would just like to say that I personally love this. And if I we do had, too. If we if we had more days in the forties and fifties, I would not be a sad person. I I I I I, I really enjoy this. Lopez, you got the space heater on, don't, don't you? In the house. Listen, listen. I don't mind the forty fifty. It's the wind chill, man. The wind. I mean, we, we, we knock that off. I mean, let's get let's get back to the sixties. All right, let's get. I got magic games to cover here. I don't be you know, and I'm going to be wearing like just ridiculous gear. They don't play outdoors. Magic. What are you talking about? Wouldn't that be something if like basketball was played outdoors? Oh. That would be fun. It's not like they're holding the magic games. You know, on a, in a playground, They're, you're indoors, climate controlled. Right, 72, 72 and dry. That's all we've got. Um, we are Black and Gold Banneret, UCF's home uh, on the SB Nation Network. You can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. We've got a lot to talk about here. Um, men's basketball, could they be turning the corner? We've got um, women's basketball with a big week. Uh, including a victor, a huge victory over South Florida. Some football scheduling news as well to talk about. But we start with a national championship because that's what you do when UCF or your team wins a national championship. UCF cheerleading. They've done it two times before in 2003 and 2007. And this year they did it again. They outlasted perennial a gazillion years in a row champion Kentucky and uh, they got and UCF wins their third national championship in cheerleading. You can roll your eyes all you want. I don't care. It's a national championship, and um, and UCF hey, is great it at on this. The field, all right? They no, earned we it. We didn't need polls for this. Don't need the Collie Matrix for this one, guys. They yeah. earned it. They earned it on the stage uh, in their in their three minute routine uh, down at Disney, and uh, and to talk about that and just the hard work that their team goes through. Uh, we had to go get Linda Gooch on the show, and uh, and and so we got her. So huge thanks to Colin Yeager for his help on that. But uh, uh, I just actually got off the phone with her, and here is uh, our interview with UCF cheer head coach and three-time national champion Linda Gooch on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And joining me now, the head coach of the now three-time national champion UCF cheer team she's been at UCF for 35 years she is an institution as is the program she captains Linda Gooch joining us here on the black and gold banneret podcast congratulations coach how's it feeling has it sunk in yet you know Jeff I I think that it does a little bit more each day but 
certainly the first 48 hours, I, I definitely know it did not completely sink in. You know, yeah. we've been close so many times in the last 13 years. And so you just, you just never know how it's going to go. And, um, but we were thrilled that it came out, um, you know, in our favor this time. It was really exciting. You know, for, for those who don't, um, don't follow it, every year it's you guys and Kentucky and usually Alabama. Sometimes someone else will creep in there a little bit in that sort of top three. Um, but you know, Kentucky has won, I don't even know how many, and it comes down to literally fractions of an inch. Do you hit your routine? Do they miss or vice versa? And it, it, the margin is razor close every year. How good of a shot did you think you had to take the crown this year? Well, you know, you have a – we look at it as a coaching staff each year that we want to try to put a, a top five performance together. So those are the elements and the creativity and then coaching and preparing your team to be able to execute those. You want to be able to put them in a position that they're – you know, they've got something that is a top five performance. And then – after that, it really just comes down to execution. And I tell our team a lot that, you know, in this particular situation, it's not, it's not the most difficult routine. It's not the most talented team. It is the team that is the best on that night in that two minutes and 30 seconds that walks away with the title. And so, you know, for us this year, it was particularly gratifying because we went into semifinals, and Kentucky is the reigning national champion. They have won the last four yeah. titles in a row, so this would have been five for them. And we both go into semifinals, and we both hit our routines, and we were scored higher. So we came out of semifinals in first place, and um, that was really gratifying because then you know you definitely have a shot. You've just got to go in there, and you've got to hit it because if you both hit, both hit your routine, the judges have said, they're, we're going to get it, you know, and yeah. so – for us to head into semifinals um, in front and be able to hold on to that and come out of finals with the championship was was really incredible. Um, it's just a, an amazing thing with that type of pressure for you know our team to be able to respond like that. You know, and 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 we throw around terms like you know hit the routine, but if you could, for those of us who uh, you know who don't quite understand like how tight the margins are. When you say hit a routine as opposed to a miss, like what are the what are the the little tiny things that could go wrong that can make the difference between a hit and and a, and a miss or and finishing second as opposed to first? What are how thin is that margin of error? Well, I know that this year um, it it ended up being between us and Alabama. Um, Kentucky had. Um, two major falls all the all the way to the ground, um, and uh, so that knocked them out of the t out of the running. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being between us and Alabama. Alabama had a really rough run in semifinals, um, and they were able to keep everything in the air in finals, but still were not able to catch us. Um, but it was it did end up being um, half a point difference between the two of us, and that's a half a point. Um, out of 50 points. So wow. that's, you know, so it's a pretty thin margin. But I think most people are relatively familiar through the Summer Olympics with gymnastics. It would be very much like that. So usually, you know, if you watch a gymnast do a vault and they take two steps, you know, they're going to be marked off 
on the landing, you know. So it's that type of thing. If, you, if you're holding a girl in the air with cheerleading and you take two steps to balance it, you're going to be marked off. If, you know, you bring the stunt down to your shoulders and then you're able to put it back up, um, you know, it's going to be two points off. Mm-hmm. Um, if it comes all the way to the ground, it's a, it's a major fall and that's four points. So wow. falling is devastating. Um, that's what happened to us last year. We were second heading into semifinals last year and we had a, a, a stunt fall. And so that was that was what did it for us last year. And this year they were just incredible. Tell us about the timeline of how you and the coaching staff and the team develop a routine to when you practice and perfect it. How long does it take before you figure out, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's different from last year. And then the practice that's involved in making it so that you can hit it on such a sharp margin in competition. Well, you know, I think in any sport, you know, how you have different cultures and different things that teams are known for. I mean, football, a team might be known for having really tough defense, you know, for example. Um, with our cheer program, we are known for being very consistent and very clean. In other words, not you're not going to see a lot of messy elements out there. Um, we try to pride ourselves in setting our team up for success. Um, in other words, give them a routine that they can hit out there Um, we just believe that it's so important the mental game and you can only perform at your best if you're confident in what you're doing and we want them to be aggressive and we want them to go for that hit instead of being afraid to fall we want we want them to be aggressive and confident in themselves Um, so we will start on the creativity part of it um, in the next couple of weeks you know we'll start looking at videos we um, you know, now with the internet, my goodness, you can see all of this acro online and things that they're doing internationally. And sometimes you'll see something that someone is doing in acro and you can modify that and come up with something really cool. Um, that was what we did with our ending pyramid, which was extremely unique this year. Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to uh, modify something that we had seen, um, you know, a, an overseas team do and um, modified that to make it work for for us and added a few things to it and it was very exciting so we'll start the creativity part of it um you know in the next couple of weeks and try to come up with some really good concepts ideas and we'll work on those things throughout the summer um last summer we came up with all of the dismounts that we wanted to do from the different partner stunts and if you watch the routine those were some of the really exciting elements were you know what did we do how do we transition out of those tricks Um, And that will be in the summer. And then as we get towards football season, you know, that is just a freight train going full speed. And we're very, very uh, focused on making sure that we do a great job um, in our stadium and entertaining our fans and getting our fans involved in the football games. So that's our major focus, certainly through October. And then as we head toward homecoming, then we'll start to kind of make a turn and start, um, you know, focusing a little bit more on um, on the competition aspect as we roll toward basketball season. So that's how it kind of goes for us. And then we certainly spend a majority of the Christmas break training and getting ready and perfecting things and uh, being ready for that second weekend in January. Gosh, you guys do so much work to prepare for this. Tell, tell us about what, you know, your student athletes do in comparison to say other athletes around camp, because, you know, they are student athletes and this is a sport. You can get very seriously hurt doing it. It takes incredible strength and speed and athleticism 
And the other thing I think is, you know, I mean, like, for example, in basketball, you play 30 games, right? You guys have basically five minutes to show your best, you know? So how much work do they put in to get that, to, to be ready for that moment? Well, I mean, it's just like any sport, you know, when football finishes their bowl game, they turn around and, you know, they're, they're back, they're underclassmen, they're, they're back to work right away. Our team you know, we um, we finished finals on Sunday, and um, Monday we came back to campus, and then Tuesday they were in the weight room, and very excited to be back in the weight room. Um, and uh, and you know, we we practice tonight. This will be our first practice back this evening. Um, so we'll practice. This is kind of what we think of as our off season, and so um, we'll be working to get you know, bigger and stronger for our guys in the off season. And, um, you know, and then we'll, as we roll into summer, of course, they get that summer break, like all of the student athletes do. And I did want to mention, you know, one of the great things about our um, UCF athletic department is just the support that everyone gives each of the different athletic teams here. Um, And the teams support each other. So it is really just a great family atmosphere here and it, just the outpouring from the other um, coaches and the other staff members has just been really awesome for our team members and for our, our own coaching staff as well. That's got to be huge, you know, to know that there are other people who are, you know, outside of the the bubble of your own sport to see that, you know, your your hard work gets recognized and appreciated, especially because you guys are at all the all these, you're, you guys are at every UCF sporting event pretty much. And oh, are representing your team coach there. It's Abe, amazing. She was texting me, Coach Abe, from our women's basketball coach. She was texting me um, throughout the weekend, like every step of the way, as we finished, you know, semifinals. And she was texting, "Go get it!" You know, it was mm-hmm. really great. And then Todd Dajney, he called me that that evening, and um, it's just been really wonderful. And they're that way throughout the year. You know, we've had um, Coach Dawkins come and speak to our team. He has just so you know, such inspirational words about his own experiences competing at the highest level. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it truly is just such a wonderful family atmosphere. And it's, it's not just the staff, of course, everything comes from the top, you know, leadership. Um, but it's also the other teams, you know, our, our cheerleaders, they know the, the players on the other teams and everyone gets along and they're all so supportive. It's really great. That's awesome. So well, I want to wrap up here, I guess. Uh, all right. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Coach. Okay. Um, 2003, 2007, and 2020. If you had them all go head to head at their very best, which team comes out on top? Well, you know, like anything, you know, uh, things change and develop. Um, I mean, I definitely would have to say, um, that the 2003 team was a very special team. Um, they were the first team to, you know, just to break that glass ceiling. Um, at that point, the University of Kentucky had won eight straight national titles, and I don't know that there were a lot of schools that thought anybody else was going to be able to catch them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we did. Those, that, that team there, they believed it. They, they dreamed it, and they believed it, and they made it happen. So... Um, but every team is special. There's no question about it. Um, I just don't think there's anything like the first one, though. Gosh, that's awesome. Well, I know that the 2003 team, they've been inducted into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. 2007, probably not that far behind. And 
here's to one day uh, 2020 being uh, being recognized as well um, in the future. So congratulations once again, head coach Linda Gooch, UCF cheer. Um, and uh, hey, here's to defending the crown in 2021 because I know you're like you said, you're already getting ready to getting ready for that as well. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks to Coach Gooch, uh, and congratulations once again to uh, the nice cheerleading team uh, on another uh, national championship. Uh, and wow, I mean, it was, I actually saw the routine. Now, I have a friend, a very good friend, who actually was on the UCF cheerleading team around the time that they won their first national title. She wasn't actually on the floor for, the, for that team. But was apparently there's a bunch of people that are on the team, and there's a sort of like a performance group basically. But she was around at that time, and uh, and to and to see this routine, I got the video up on our story about it. I mean, it's it's really amazing that they get to do this all in three. First of all, the the gymnastics that these people are doing, the feats of strength, are really remarkable, and to do it all in such a pressure packed. Two and a half, three minutes is just to me. It's insane. I mean, it, it, like I, like I told Linda, you know, basketball teams play thirty games a year. These people get five minutes, and uh, in their big competitions, and it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Are we spoiled by that as UCF fans? Do you think, guys? Oh, I, I don't know if spoiled is the word. I mean, it's it's been really interesting, right? Like, I mean, about a de- I mean, cheerleading was. You mentioned it. This is the third national championship. This is a fascinating story because there's been a drought. I mean, 2007 was the last time they won the national championship. And you wondered if they were ever going to win it again because it felt like Kentucky or Alabama, you know, they were going to always win every year and uh, and things like that. I remember there was a, a one of the events a few years ago. A lot of people thought UCF should have won, didn't win, things like that. So you just wondered if they can get back on top. Uh, and then they did this year. They got off to that great start on Saturday and closed it out on Sunday. Very narrow victory over Alabama, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, spoil, but it is. I mean, to be perfection. I mean, really, in these type of events, you have to be uh, perfect, basically, literally. If you make one, I mean, it's kind of insane now with social media, people breaking this stuff down. One little wobble here or there, and everybody flips, you know, oh, my God, it's not perfect. Um <laughs> But it is. It, it's it's exposure for the university. It's a good a credit. Uh, I mean, Linda Gooch should be in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame uh, for what she's done there to have one of the top cheerleading pro you know performers because they don't. And you know more about this, Jeff, because you work there behind the scenes stuff. They don't have the luxury of other of the ma- other schools as far as scholarships, the amount of scholarships and, and things like that. It's not like they're in an even playing field with some of the other major yeah. bigger schools like like the Alabama and Kentucky. Am I right on that? Am I, I No, you're absolutely right on that. that. Kentucky, I, I know for a fact Kentucky hands out scholarships. I mean to their cheerleaders. And right, whereas UCF that's necessarily, right? Is right. that correct? Uh, yeah, they're yeah, at okay. a dis- they're at a slight disadvantage of that, but that doesn't take away from the you know, the work that they put into this. No, and- no. No. It, it it really it's pretty remarkable. And and my, you know, and you wrote about this. You can read it right now in Black and Gold Brown. The thing that surprises me, because you mentioned this in your article, and I wonder if you knew anything about this. The 03 cheerleading team is in the Hall of Fame, in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Correct. Uh, but the 07 is not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the deal behind that. <laughs> I don't know what's I mean, going on with that. I mean, it's a little weird. And I only bring that up because, you know, UCF Athletics Hall of Fame now is going to become an annual thing, um, you know, and. 
and I remember you were a big part of this. You did a big feature on this, and they were inducted into the 2015 Hall of Fame. That was the 78 Volleyball National Championship team, um, which you know more about. I'll let you uh, talk about that backstory on that. Right. But I was kind of caught off guard. At, Wait a minute. Why isn't the 07 team inducted? Um, I just think and, it's because and, they got lost in the shuffle because the Hall of Fame, you know, we didn't have a Hall of Fame for a while, and, and they were really – and now that it's back, they're trying to get – you know some guys that they may have missed the oh, last few years in there year. first, but we got one this year. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so my hope is that you know they'll they'll it, it should happen. You know, if not this year, hopefully very soon, because a national title is a national title. You hang a banner, well, you're the best in the country. Yes, yes. And I'm happy uh, that people gave it the credit it deserved and respect. I was worried when this came out that this was going to turn into some silly. UCF Alabama joke and going back to the football because it, it you know, and I get it everybody you know whatever they think it's funny material that's great um, you know that's kind of like Jay Leno's material it goes flat after a few years and it's not funny but people you know he thinks it's funny but uh, I just glad that they got the proper credit and the exposure because this is a big deal for them and I was and I marveled at the other schools congratulating UCF and the young ladies and and the performers as well. I think that was a lot of class that I think other sports and other and fan bases can take, you know, can learn from a little bit, don't you? I mean, I, I thought it was it was tremendous. It's unfortunate. What's weird, even with today's technology, <laughs> this event will not be broadcasted on the ESPN until like two months from now. It's very weird. Right. I don't I don't know why it's not televised live on ESPN three or something like that. So, thankfully, somebody. I guess that would get some. I think that would get some big ratings for ESPN. Actually, to be honest with you, because well, it's just, like it's like the Olympics. It's going to bring in the college crowd, but it's also going to bring in um, a lot of people who don't normally watch sports. Well, it's just weird though that we have to wait like two months. It's like the old days. Like what? Like right? <laughs> we we can't watch it live. It's just kind of weird. But you're right. I mean, I'm sure we're going to hear about that when it comes out, and I would assume uh, that they will be honored at the earliest. Uh, the next UCF men's basketball game and the Memphis game, I would imagine they get honored there, if not soon after that, uh, for what they provided. Again, three national championships. Pretty remarkable story when you consider all the backstory with you know the scholarship situation and what she's done there. And you know, you got a chance to talk to her. What, I mean, what was your kind of? I mean, you've known her for a long time. Um, I would imagine that this has to be a little extra special, right? Because there's probably. You know, and I don't know if you ever admit it or not, but you know there might be some doubts if you ever get the benefit of the doubt sometimes and win this national title again, right? Well, I think you heard it in the interview there. I mean, see, you know, yeah. they knew they had a good shot after the semis when they finished first in the semis, and I think that gives you a good indication of you know where you are because they they, they kind of got a you, they kind of already had a pass, but you do have to come up into the semis in order to perform um, and. And, and that was when they knew. And then it was just a matter of, do you hit everything that you have to hit? Does nobody fall? Does nobody bobble? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's just on such a, like we talked about with her, it's just such a razor-thin margin. And and to see them come out on top is is really gratifying. Murph, I know you have a cheerleading take in you. I, I think it just shows how difficult it is to win a national championship and. Uh, even if it, you know, if you win it like uh, an Alabama football team has every year, it just it's a difficult thing. And so when you go not not just one year, two years, but a full decade or more without one, knowing that you have the talent to win one almost any year, um, it's still just a amazingly special achievement. And uh, just congratulations 
yeah. you know that it's it's just um it's it, it's it's what you work for all year long and and in cheerleading I know we don't talk about it a whole lot but I mean the physical demands of that sport are 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 the things that we don't the things that are not talked about enough and those who have watched documentaries on cheerleading know like how demanding that sport is so to to, to reach the apex of your sport um it is just it's it's what you do it's what you work for yeah it's mind-blowing and uh if you ever get the chance like you know we see it sometimes when we see other teams you know other teams cheer teams come in you know and so and you know who the good ones are and then you know who they you know that it's and you know the ones who don't make that kind of a commitment but you know ucf has made that commitment for 35 years under linda gooch and um and to see them win that national title once again they're one, a powerhouse program powerhouse program yeah, there is yeah, they're a heavyweight so. program, and uh, I, Alex Martins, if you're listening, uh, let's get them out there at a Magic halftime game. Yes, let's get them out there. As well. Come on, let's Alex, do that as well. make right. it happen. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about men's basketball. Lots of news to talk about here. Big win over South Florida that we're going to talk about here in a little bit and more. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, Eric Lopez Elo. All right, let's talk some hoops, boys. Um, big win for UCF over South Florida, led by uh, the defense the other night. They're, now they're playing. Now UCF has another big game. This is kind of a little mini gauntlet that they're going through right now at Wichita on eight, at eight o'clock on Saturday, but. Now two straight wins in conference uh, to get to eleven and seven overall, two and four in the league, and uh, and this was a this was a rock fight against South Florida. Fifty five fifty four was the final, but UCF gets the win over the Bulls um, back on uh, back on Saturday night. You get a week off after this grueling game, but. Um, how about UCF in this game shooting uh, seven of eighteen from three? Uh, out, uh, I believe that yeah, they out rebounded USF by one. Um, and uh, top score for UCF in this game: uh, two players with eleven points each, Caesar DeJesus and Dazon Ingram, who's really starting to I think hit his stride in terms of taking the ball to the hoop. But uh, both of you guys watched this game. I know um, Murph, you had your keen eyes on it as well. This was just a. Uh, this game was as close as it gets. What was the difference for UCF in this game, though? Um, defense down the stretch. And I, I will say also, like, when a team like South Florida goes four for 26 from deep, and granted, they are one of the worst three-point shooting teams, uh, but when you go four for 26, there's some there's some luck there. Uh, UCF's perimeter defense wasn't always great. It was just some missed open shots. Both teams missed a lot of open threes, but in the final two minutes where it really counted – when UCF was down by five, their defense just stepped up and, and clamped down. Um, you know, USF up by five with 2.14 to go. Then they don't score a point from there on after. Um, UCF gets a, gets a clutch three from Matt Milan out of a timeout. And then the rest is basically Dazon Ingram forcing his, way to the th- the, forcing his way to the foul line. Now, you might disagree if you're USF coach Brian Gregory, who vehemently disagreed after the game with the call that put uh, Ingram at the line uh, on the uh, final possession of UCF's game, uh, their final offensive possession. But the fact is that Ingram drove, does what he do- does, what he does, which is draw contact, get fouled. He made three free throws. And then at the other end, you know, UCF clogged the paint, 
uh, when uh, LaQuincy Redu- Quincy Rideau came down. Uh, he had a couple of looks at it, but really none of them were open. They were all very contested, crowded. And uh, again, it, 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 these last two games, both against Tulane and now USF, you've you've seen the, the type of basketball that Johnny Dawkins has always played, which is it's not going to be pretty, and it's going to be pretty ugly at times. Certainly in the first half it was, but defense is, what, is what's going to get you wins. And certainly in this game, that's what, that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, Clutch... Also, you know, like you said, hitting the, you know, scoring the last six points of the game in the final two minutes. I was, I, I love what I'm seeing from Dazon Ingram right now in the last two games. Um, I think he's, I don't know what he's figured out, but I think it's, hey, if I go to the basket, good things are going to start happening. Um, you know, again, tied for the score, for the scoring lead um, at, uh, with 11, but uh, six rebounds. Uh, mm-hmm. To go with, uh, I'm actually pulling this new box score throwing me out. Five assists, yeah, two blocks and a partridge in a pear tree. Um, with with Dazon, it's just about being aggressive, and he knows this, and he knows that there. You know, before the two, before this little two game stretch, he had seen his minutes dwindle because he just wasn't being assertive enough, and that's that's the whole thing. Like he he knows what he can do. His talent is not scoring or really even shooting. Uh, it is about creating and driving and using his six-six frame to either draw contact at the rim uh, or dish out for open shots, and we've seen him do that. And so that is where his game is. And as he goes, it sort of seems like as he gets better, this team improves. Uh, you know, and so that's something to watch out for. You know, as as we go through the season, Colin Smith is still the team's best player offensively, certainly. Uh, but this is another game where Colin got in foul trouble early, and they sort of had to deal with that. He missed, I think, all of like four, all but four minutes of the first half due to foul trouble. Um, but because Dazon is doing more offensively and not just putting it upon himself, but doing more to get his teammates involved, uh, the, the offense doesn't slip as far as it might have when Colin's not in the game. Eric, do you feel like this team's turned the corner a little bit here? I think they're turning the corner defensively to Merv's point. That's, you know, and I wrote about it on the recap on the black and gold banner, which by the way, it felt good finally to have a re write a recap of a win. I was I very nervous. That. I was going to get fired. I was nervous. I was going to get fired. Uh, if we kept losing games where a recap, I mean, it's hard. I don't think to, you'll have to worry about that, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, I was worried. I mean, I'm, I'm filling in for the legend, Brian Murphy, cause he's writing for other, you know, the paper, the local paper, as we say, um, you know, I, I feel like Scottie Pippen, you know, following Michael Jordan. It's not easy. All right, but, all right. <laughs> all right. That's enough. Um, but I wrote on the black and gold. All right, I kind of do like a three-point play type of deal, breaking down certain things. And this is the second consecutive game that UCF has now given up fewer than forty percent shooting from the field defensively, and they've given up less than sixty points. That's who. That's really the identity of this program under coach Johnny Dawkins, Murph and Jeff and Murph, he mentioned that in the post game about this is back to their identity. And, you know, I was looking up some stats. Now I'm warning you that I might be off a game or two. Cause I was, I was looking this up while uh, two, two 30 in the morning, watching Fabio Fonini and the Australian open come you back. You mean your Australian sets. open. Oh my God. Uh, so go. nicely done. I enjoy it. Thank you. So, so if I sound a little groggy, that's why, but, I'll give you the stat. Under Coach Dawkins, in, in the Dawkins era, when UCF has given up under 70 points defensively, they're 67-17 and 17 overall. It's a 79% win uh, percentage there. When they've given up under 60 points, like they've done the last two games, they're 38-7 and seven 
84% win percentage. UCF wins 84% of the time when they give up under 60. And uh, I think half of those losses, by the way, when they've given up less than 60 and lost are those Cincinnati. You might be right. (laughs) You know, I I really do. I I look at it up. I remember like, yeah, that's Cincinnati, Cincinnati. When UCF's given up over 70 points, they're 9 and 21. 9 and 21. 30% of the time they've won in the Dawkins era. When they've given up 70 points or more, Murph, this is not a team that's going to win games in the 70s. they got to play them in the 50s or the 60s. That's the recipe, and that's going to be no different in Wichita this Saturday where you're going to be at, Murph, because in the three meetings they've had with Wichita State, including last year's one meeting, Wichita State has scored over 70 points and has won each of those three meetings, and Wichita State averages 73 points a game. So if you want to look at a key for the Wichita State game, is defensively, can they keep them in the 50s and 60s? Because they're not going to win games in the high scoring. But that's this is the identity of Coach Dawkins in this program. Is def- it starts on defense, and they're finally playing like that in the last couple games. That's the encouragement. Totally right. And as far as the Wichita State game goes, not only is it about you know shutting down their shooters, but Wichita State's defense is one of the best in the country. And what's so amazing about this conference in general, if you look at it, like, we talk about UCF's defense is, is pretty good, and it is. Like, it really is pretty good if you look at the metrics. However, and it, it, it only ranks it only ranks ninth in the conference, even though it's among the top 95 in the nation. Wow. And there's so many good defensive teams in this in this conference, and Wichita State this year has been one of them. They, 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 they hold opponents to under 30% from three-point range. Wow. Only 42%, 43% from two-point range uh, on Ken Palm. They're they're tenth in adjusted deficiency on defense, uh, and so it, this could be another one of those games where yeah, first to 60 wins. However, because the way Wichita State has gone about this year, I feel like they have just more weapons. I mean, when they can bring an Eric Stevenson off the bench as they did against USF, I mean they've they've gotten deeper this year offensively. He's um, their lead. He's their he's their leading scorer, Murph. I mean it's. What's scary about this Wichita State team, what's interesting is they don't have a dominant score. They don't have that Larry Shamit guy that you knew was a guy that could take over a game. But what they do have is a lot of balance. You mentioned Stevenson. He's their leading scorer, averaging 12.5 a game. Jamarius Burton, 10.8. Echenique, 10.7. Tyson Etienne, nearly 10 points a game. Grant uh, Sherfield who you could argue maybe is their best all-around player. He's there, definitely runs their offense. Eight and a half a game. Ter- Trey Wade, eight point. I mean, there is not one guy you can focus on. It The scoring can come from a bunch of different places, which makes him a tough guard. And the reason why Stevenson's come off the bench is because he's basically just been awful the last few games. Yeah. Uh, he really just had no shot, so they put him on the bench. However, I mean, going into that, so, you know, everybody knows about Wichita State, the way that they've rebounded this year uh, after last year's total turnover and in, and in the second year, really, with this squad, they've taken off. They beat Memphis at home uh, back two weeks ago. And then since that Memphis game on uh, January 9th, they had a double overtime win against Connecticut, which they could have easily lost, almost blew it. They did lose to Temple on the road and then got absolutely smacked at home by Houston uh, and then beat USF last night, who, again, USF has its own problems that I can't get into again because it makes me very sad. But... You, Wichita State has not looked great in these last few weeks since beating Memphis. However, it's probably they're still probably at worst. I would say the third best team in this conference. And you know, playing in that, I don't, I don't know how long it's been since UCF has won in that gym. But Wichita State, you just don't win there. I mean, it's really, really difficult to win there. Houston has done that. They just did that this weekend. But UCF has never. I don't know how long it's been. I gotta look that up. 
How long has it been? But it's an amazing environment. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if we have. Oh, yeah, I don't think have they won there. I don't think they I'm, have. Let me look it up here real quick. Yeah, while you guys well, you, while you guys looked it up, um, that's going to be an interesting atmosphere. And you mentioned the three point shooting, Murph. Well, Matt Milan in the last four games, twelve of twenty six from the three point line. Previous fourteen games to that, ten for thirty nine. I know, you know, look, it's a shooter. You go to hot stretches and cold stretches. But I think the biggest thing is that struck me, and Coach Dawkins talked about it in the postgame you were there, is his leadership. You know, they were down five in the South Florida game with two minutes, and it was Matt Milan that spoke up and said, hey, we're fine. And he hit the big three to get them within two points. I think him and Dajon stepping up as the seniors here, huge for this team moving forward. And they're going to have to be good, especially if they're going to try to steal a game at Wichita State. But – I think Matt's been much better in the last four games beyond just the shooting, just his activity overall. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think I think it's also just the confidence and sort of sure. – he, he understands that he was putting too much pressure on himself early in the year to make this a perfect homecoming for him, and he was sort of wearing that pressure and affected his play. Uh, but I think he's settling down. And, again, that leadership, though, is really important. It's what they need out of him. And, and for him to step up in that moment – uh, not only in the huddle, but then right afterwards, they drop a play for him. I mean, Dawkins said they drew a play for him because of what he was saying in the huddle. The confidence he showed in that moment, down five with two fourteen to play, they drew a play for him. He came up, he came up a screen and did what he's supposed to do, which is which is drain threes. So um, it, it, it's a it's a big moment for UCF's offense to get him going a little bit. Yes, he, there will be ups and downs in his season because that's what happens with shooters who aren't you know among the best of the best. Um, but but this is certainly a positive sign the last, uh, I don't know, uh, five or six games well, for UCF with Matt Milan. And, and, and I'll say this, that three-point shot could arguably be maybe the, one of the most important shots of the year to date. If he doesn't make that shot, Murph, odds are they go on and lose that game, which drops them to one and five with going to Wichita State. you got to play Memphis. You just yeah. wonder if this season just goes south at that point, right? And instead, he hits the three. They win the game. They're two and four. They got two tough games ahead, but you feel good about yourself. Maybe you get a split here with Wichita State and Memphis. Get yourself at three and five and make a run in the the back end here and finish strong. I think that was a significant three-point shot against your rival. It reminded me, and Jeff, I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember the year it was, but I know it was back when USF was a non-conference opponent, so it was rare that these two programs played. But it was the one where – about a decade ago, where Drew Spiroff, I'm outdating myself, came around on a screen and drilled a three, and the crowd erupted because, yeah. you know, it was Kurt Spiroff's son. I don't know, you remember the that game? Was two, that was in uh, December. I, it's funny because I was looking up the records, but it's December of 2008. And yeah, it was a 71-63 win for UCF over USF at the time. That was UCF's first ever win over a then Big East opponent. And that was significant. They were wearing the gold, and when he hit the three, it light up the crowd, and, and it was a turning point in that game. And it kind of reminded me of that with Matt's three, which, by the way, that was a lively crowd on Saturday night. I thought it was a fun atmosphere. Now we just got to learn to not throw confetti on the on, in the into the court. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, Eric, can, you, can, Eric yeah. you can make the argument that if Matt doesn't hit that three, possibly this game comes down being decided by that, that technical by free throw. By the stupid confetti. Oh, <laughs> would have been a disaster. Right, which, Oh, that was not – I was nervous about that. I was like, wow, is Murph's headline going to be confetti? Do I have to write about confetti? <laughs> Thankfully not. Uh, no. Hopefully we learn our lesson there. Uh, I don't know why we didn't get a warning. Why was it an automatic technical? Because in the – you know, you, but nonetheless, thankfully it didn't matter. 
we made stops. By the way, Brian Gregory, with respect, who's had a tough year, so let's give him some, you know, he's been a frustrating year for South Florida. They've not lived up to the expectations, certainly not to the expectations that Brian Murphy put out on this program before the year that they were going to be a NCAA team. Granted, they lost their best player before the year. They remind me a lot, actually, a little bit of the the, the year where UCF had all the injuries, Murph. Remember that way Dawkins was out yeah. right before the year? Then B.J. Taylor miss, you know, gets hurt the first game of the year, doesn't come back till halfway through. Then we lose Taco. Like, and it was kind of a what-if year. Really, for, it was an amazing job for Coach Dawkins. And I think this South Florida season is proving what a job and what a coach Coach Dawkins was because he had a ton of injuries that year, and they still managed to win 19 games. We were both at Amway. And we're, we were actually having conversation about, hey, this team could make the NIT, depending how they do, which is kind of crazy looking back with all the issues they had on that team. I feel like South Florida is going through that. That being said, that was a good no call on the last play. Uh, I watched the the game again on replay on archive, and I got to give a credit to UCF Video Services. They've been doing this kind of a post game show on Twitch with Mark and Taylor, where they go into video and they actually showed highlights and broke it down. He was never touched. The USF player had written a uh, new. I can't pronounce his name well. Rideau. Um, Rideau. Thank you, Rideau. Rideau. He drove in. He was not touched by Colin Dazon. That was a good non-call by the refs. Uh, so I think they, get, they got that one right. And then the Dazon one is tricky because the USF defender, Redu, he put his hand on Dazon's back as Dazon was driving to the basket, which you, some would argue you know, throws off the balance, and that's what they call. That's what they call. Now, some think it's ticky-tack, some it's not. It is what it is. He got the call. So uh, I, I want to address that because Gregory did address that in the postgame. But um, – yeah, you know, like I said, I thought that was a very significant moment. Big win, your big your rival, and we'll see what they do against the Wichita State team back at home. But uh, I thought those are kind of big points there, and, and really for this team to step up, and we'll see what happens. Um, key note here that just to answer that question from before, UCF all time against Wichita State, zero and three. Two of those losses at Wichita State. So, mm-hmm. and all three games again, all, all three games, Wichita State has scored over seventy points. Yep. So if you want to look at some keys here, UCF's got to keep this in the 50s and the 60s, Murph, and got to keep this crowd under control. That you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it because you're going to be there in person. I know you're looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I would make the argument, and you and I saw them up close take over Amway Center, really salvage the American Conference and bail them out from an attendance standpoint when uh, Orlando hosted it a couple years ago. I think Wichita State basketball fans are the best sports fans of any sport in the league, better than any football fan base, any baseball fan base, I would take Wichita State over anybody in this conference. That's how much That's, that's a hot take. <laughs> well, because I've, but I've seen them. I've seen them at Disney. They're great. They yeah. come, I mean, it's, I mean, that, I'll never, that was my image, Murph and Jeff, from that American Conference tournament was the sea of the Wichita. I mean, it's not like it's a drive from Wichita to Orlando. They drove all the way over there. I don't know how much they drew in Memphis, but, it's a big crowd, and they support that program yeah. big time, and, and they have one of the best coaches in Greg Marshall. Yeah, they really are a fantastic fan base. Go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. You got the last that's word. One of the why, that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to this. I, I thought Wichita State would be good this year, but I had, not, I had never been there as a, as a fan, and it's always been one of the best environments in college basketball. And I don't know about every sport, but just in terms of this league in basketball, it's up there with Memphis. When Memphis is really good, as they are now, uh, that that's a great place to play. Uh, not for UCF, who can't win there either. Uh, but it's a great place to be because that fan base in Memphis uh, is so supportive. But in Wichita State, you're probably right. It probably is the best fan base in this conference for basketball. Well, in my, in my- 
Well, and especially, I feel like they're more loyal. You mentioned Memphis, you're right, but we saw towards the end of the Josh Pashner era, the sure. Memphis fans kind of wavered, and we saw how they turned on Tubby quickly. Whereas yeah. the Wichita fans, I've, I've felt they have always been loyal to that program through thick, you know, not that they've had a lot of struggles recently, but when they have, like last year, there was a rebuilding year, and they still packed the place. Yeah, and that's what makes it so great, right? And so it's a great environment, uh, just a great college basketball environment. Uh, it hasn't been friendly to UCF, but I'm looking forward to just sort of being in that crowd, and, or not in the crowd per se, but sort of soaking <laughs> it in. And it, is, it is a great place to be if you like college basketball. That's awesome. So, uh, again, that's Saturday. And then don't forget, obviously, next Wednesday, uh, UCF wow. plays at Tulane. So, quick turnaround. Or, excuse me, no. That's no, 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 that's no, no, wrong. Uh, excuse me. What? I'm looking at the women's schedule. Sorry about that. At Wichita Saturday, home for Memphis Wednesday. I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's home for I was looking at the difference there. Yeah, I was looking at the um, at the uh, women's uh, schedule, which we will transition over to now. Well, let me let me let me go before we go to that, since we're not going to do a show prior to the Memphis game. Well, probably the next show we do will be after the Memphis game. Right. Uh, Your thoughts on Memphis post, uh, you know, all the drama that's happened there with their best player being, you know, leaving uh, with, uh, you know, James Wiseman, the number one, James Wiseman. Uh, right. They're still on top of the league. What do you expect to see from Memphis when they arrive here uh, against UCF? And do you believe? I think that's UCF's best shot. If they want to split these two games, I think that's their better shot. I still have questions about Memphis. Do they show up on the road? I mean, they were outplayed by South Florida and Tampa a couple weeks ago for 40 minutes. I think that's UCF's best shot. But what do you think about the Tigers? Uh, do you still believe they're the team to beat? Yeah, I think it's either them or Houston. I think Houston's put themselves in that conversation by just how much they've gotten better and and then, you know, and sort of emphasize that with how they really took down Wichita State over the weekend. But I do think that in, in terms of talent, in terms of just pure talent, even without James Wiseman, I'd still believe that, that Memphis is the best team in this league. You know, Precious Achu Precious was going to be a lottery pick. Uh, DJ Jeffries was, the, the I think, the player of the week this week. Uh, or at least the freshman of the week this week. But they, they, they have so much talent that I think if, you know, if, if it all clicks, they're the best team. They're the best team. But, you know, like you said, Eric, they have shown an ability to not always play up to the potential on the road. Certainly, you know, at Wichita State, they they, didn't, they never led. And then at, at South Florida, they should have lost down by, what was it, 13, 14 points with, yeah. uh, like, yeah. the play. So, yeah, I, you could see UCF, you know, being competitive in that game. But as it always is with Memphis, as it always is with Memphis, You've got to stop them in transition. You've got to get back on defense. You've got to make shots. Make sure the shots you take offensively are smart shots. Um, because if, if you get like long rebounds out to them, they're often going, and it's really, really, really difficult to stop them. And also, I should also mention they are the they they are right right there with Wichita State in terms of defense. They're so good defensively. They're best in the, they're best in the conference or best in the nation at two point opponent field goal percentage, thirty seven point eight percent in two point range. Wow. It's, wow. It, even even without Wiseman. Thank God they don't have Wiseman because if they did, my God. <laughs> so, so we'll be looking forward to that one. By the way, Murph, you're going out to Wichita. Definitely recommend you check out uh, the B29 doc exhibit over by uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, National, wow. Air, National Airport. One of uh, two remaining flying Boeing B29s that are out there. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's stored for the winter, but you can go take a tour. Definitely recommend it. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeffrey. You're looking for stuff to do out in Wichita. I mean, you know, because after all, there's there must not be much to do in Wichita when that when they're packing out that place, even though the team is 
you know, last wow. year wasn't very good. So tell me I'm no, tell me I'm wrong about that. Right. You're sort of right. I mean that's why they that's why they've such a feet that's why they have such a committed fan base. There's nothing else to do. It's Wichita, Kansas. Not everybody can go fly in a B twenty nine. Anyway. Um, let's go talk to, let's go talk about the, uh, the women's basketball team off of, um, man, we, I thought for a second there, we would have to do an emergency podcast last Thursday night. Um, but UCF, the last two games, a home for UConn at USF. I think you really got to be encouraged about UCF women's basketball right now because they lose to UConn at home 59-52 in a game that, yeah, okay, we could stand here and say, you know, Moral victory. I don't think there are any moral victories. I think they come out of that game thinking to themselves, man, we had them on the ropes, and if we just made some shots, we could have we could have knocked them off. Uh, and then, just to back that up, they go into Tampa on Sunday, three days later, and knock off USF 64-57 um, behind, a te- behind a plus 10-point fourth quarter. Uh, I want to start by talking about the UConn game because you guys are both there. I, that was my feeling on it, was watching it from afar, was, dadgummit, they, I, I feel like UCF should be a little ticked off that they lost this game, not encouraged, so, not not so much encouraged by how well they played against a team like UConn, but that, man, they had them, didn't they? Eric, Eric, who wants to tell Jeff that he's wrong? You okay. or me? <laughs> I'll, you know what, Murph, since you... You covered the game, that one for the Sentinel, uh, and you wrote about it, and we, we were both there. I'll let you, for a change, start the women's basketball okay, conversation. Okay, Murph, I'll, I'll let you tell me I'm wrong. Go ahead. All right. So, we I mean, we asked both the players and Coach Abe after the game if they take a moral victory out of this because they only lost by seven to UConn. And sure enough, Coach Abe says, I think so, and I'm quoting her directly here. I think so. I told them before the game, this is really not about UConn. It was really about us because we need a bounce back from the last game we played. Talking about that Cincinnati loss where they lost by 25. Mm-hmm. That was night basketball, and this was. This is how we should be playing every single game. So the moral victory is you know you can play this way. You know you can play with really tough, really tough, relentless, fierce, together, and have great energy. I just wanted them to come out and be the identity that we had been, that we had, that we had lost when we went to Cincinnati. That's the moral victory that I really saw. Yes, there is a moral victory in this game, Jeffrey. And she said it. Okay. Uh, do, now, are they are they say are they saying that publicly, or do you think in the locker room they're like, man, we could have gotten? I mean, guys. no, no, no. They, no I, I agree with her. That was sincere. That was very sincere. Don't you that think, Murphy? And the reason why it was sincere, she was generally ticked off about the Cincinnati game, right, Murph? Didn't you get that tone? Remember when she brought that up? I don't think she liked the way they came out in the Cincinnati game. And I don't think she liked the defense. Remember, you know, I asked her a follow-up after Murph asked her that question about was this a result of the defense identity, finding your identity again after the Cincinnati game where they gave up 81 points and gave up every, you know, easy baskets. And she agreed, yes, she said yes, that that's the identity, uh, being tough defensively and holding UConn to 59 points. I'm not going to say they had UConn on the ropes. I think that's that's a little exaggeration. They had a drought in the second quarter. UConn had a double-digit lead. UCF did a nice job coming back, but I thought they played well defensively, and they carried that over to the South Florida game, holding the Bulls to 57 points. Um, That's how they're going to win games. We talked about earlier Coach Dawkins and the identity of the program being defense. Well, there's no – that's the the obvious with Coach Abe. 
again, I did this research during the Australian Open. I think this was during the Coco Golf portion of the match, for the record, um, when she came back and won a three-setter. Uh, <laughs> might have been that one. But so how about this? When you when Coach Abe in the Coach Abe era again, I'm and again because I was up late. Uh, give me a game or two room for error. Uh, when UCF has given up less than sixty points in the Abe era, they're seventy four and five. That's a ninety three percent win percentage when they've given up less than sixty points. Okay, on the contrast, when they've given up seventy points or more, they're one in seventeen. One in seventeen. Mm. The one win was a quarterfinal win against Temple two years ago, the year they lost to South Florida in the semis of the American Conference Tournament up at the the Mohican uh, in Yukon. They gave up seventy points in that game. They didn't even that was that's it. They won like a seventy seven seventy game, something like that. This is a team that has to play in the fifties and sixties. They win with defense. And I think what she was ticked off about was that Cincinnati game, they just got torched defensively. And I think that bothers her more, even than the offensive struggles. Would you agree with that, Murph? I, I mean, I'm not saying that she, you know, she wants them to execute offensively, but when they don't execute defensively, I, I don't think she stands for that at all. And I think that was the message she sent after that UConn game. That's what I, I think. That's why I think it was, in a way, a moral victory because defensively they got back to who they were, and that carried over to South Florida. Right, because so much about playing good defense is just about want to and effort and and energy. I mean, those are things that that you you don't have to you don't you shouldn't have to coach, you know. And so being being good defensively, yes, there are there's technique and talent, but also a lot of it's just how much do you want to guard and play hard, and that's what she wants out of her teams. So I think I, I want to look real quick at at how the rest of this the next couple games um, set up uh, for them because. Uh, looking at the no, that's the men's schedule. Looking at the women's schedule, they are at Tulane. I can't. I, I, I got the, when I got them both in the same window on two different tabs. It's bad. Um, what they've got? They're at Tulane on Wednesday. That's we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so that's uh, tonight by our time. And uh, and then they're at uh, or excuse me, they're home from Memphis on Saturday. And just to take a quick peek at the uh, at at the uh, RPI here. Because um, I want to make sure that we take a look at well, this. Well, and, 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 and while you look that up, that is what is significant, okay, about the UConn game, which you could argue is a is a half victory. Is Charlie Cream, who is the women ESPN's bracketologist, he's the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball. We've had him on this show. UCF prior to the UConn game was not even mentioned in Charlie Cream's uh, bracketology. Mm -hmm. Since then, you look at the most recent one on Monday. They came out. UCF's on the next four out. Think about that. They're on the next four out going one and two. That tells you the, the, the how impressed they were with that UConn score, being only a seven-point game. I do think that matters in women's basketball. I do think that matters with the committee when you look at that and like, wow, they played UConn real tough. They played UCLA real tough without KK and could have won that game. UCLA is a top-ten team yeah. in the country. And then, and then to win at South Florida – in a game that, to me, is a signature game for K.K. Wright's legacy. 28 points in that game. She was amazing. And dominated the fourth quarter when somebody needed to take over, and she did. As I mentioned to someone uh, close to, uh, that follows the program, I think this is what, you, what you've seen now. And, and Abe is now 4-3 and three against Jose Fernandez, a great rivalry there. They won the last three meetings. UCF, for the first time in this history of the rivalry in women's basketball, had the best player on the court. And it wasn't even debatable. 
KK Wright's the best player in the court when these two teams play. That hasn't been the case in the past, but it showed in the fourth quarter. She dominated. She took over the game. South Florida had no answer for her. And that was a signature win for her because that was a huge win. It salvaged the week, and it keeps them in the mix for the possibility of the NCAA tournament as Charlie Cream, again, put them in the next four. Now, they got to finish strong, a lot of work to do, but that was a significant game and a signature game. When we look back in KK's career, that's one of the games that jumps to mind. Well, the UCF's RPI right now coming into this week is 61 um, their opponents this week, Tulane's at 126, Memphis at 165. That's not going to really help you very much. Um, no, but you got to win. Got to win games. Gotta win, gotta that, win. Right. So those those become must wins. And, and, and then their and game listen. next Wednesday against Temple, uh, Temple is right with them at 57. So that, that game at, in Philadelphia next Wednesday becomes really big, doesn't it? Well, it is. But Tulane, I mean, Tulane, I know they are undefeated. They are the surprise of the league. Coach Stockton quietly it's their best start they've had in a long time and this is where i am um, this is the flaw with the rpi and that's why i'm not a i don't believe that the rpi should be in end all be all because sometimes the rpi is very misleading to i mean ucf lost at tulane last year that's not an easy place to play so it, it there's you know that's gonna be interesting how they play in that game considering all the emotional games at cincinnati uconn usf now you got to go to tulane before this little uh, you got the memphis home game but uh, you're right temple's a big game on the road as well they're going to have to win games and finish strong. The goal is, and it's no different, you finish. You try to finish second in the league because you're then more than likely going to be on the opposite bracket of UConn come the conference tournament. And then if you can make it to the final, you put yourself in a position with a good performance to maybe squeak into the NCAA tournament, probably get bust to Tallahassee because, you know, God forbid you send teams on a flight. <laughs> but um, that's the goal. I mean, that's why the South Florida win – and we said this last week was just as big as the UConn game because it kept them afloat and it was a, a signature road win. And I thought it was a good week. And that UConn game could be a turning point for them defensively after struggling at Cincinnati. All right. So we'll be watching that uh, game at New Orleans uh, Wednesday night and then the game at home against Memphis on Saturday. And uh, you can watch those games. The, uh, the Tulane game is going to be televised on... Uh, by the way, they're all going to be televised, I think, on uh, Watch ESPN. Oh, wait, the uh, Memphis game will be on Twitch. So, But the Tulane game will be on uh, on Watch ESPN, so look out for that. All right, when we get back, special I, I, interview. I thought it was American... It might be American Digital Network as well. I don't know, so just... just yeah, we'll check double check that. Things. Check our... Also, check our Twitter feed. We'll have that up for you as well, UCF underscore banner on Twitter. All right, we're going to continue the hoops talk here in a little bit when we return... Joining us, a special guest to talk about his career at UCF and also our all-decade teams that, we have, that, that we've been pumping out, uh, this particular the men's basketball team. Yeah. Former UCF forward Tristan Spurlock joins me and Elo here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You do not want to miss this. Stick around. We'll be right back. And joining me now here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, he just got out of practice with his team with the uh, Mexican uh, Liga Nacional Baloncesto Profesional, the Aguacateros of Michoacan. Uh, well, I said with, that great. I, I, okay, good. I'm glad I got it. I was wondering <laughs> if I would. Uh, Tristan Spurlock joining us here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's going on, number one? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. You said that way better than I said it when I first got here. So <laughs> you're ahead of me already. I appreciate that, man. So, all right. So, uh, first of all, well, now that I got everybody updated on where you are right now, you guys are uh, in the semifinals of the uh, 
Mexican League playoffs. What are you guys up to right now? And uh, and you guys are starting the semifinals tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we have the tomorrow is the conference finals. Um, you know, this year it's been really tough. You know, you know, uh, I think we were third place, and we just beat the second place team. So we had to go to we had to go to Capitanes, which is in Mexico City. Played two tough games on the road. We won the first one, lost the second, and then we won three straight at the crib. So it was it was a great feeling for us. First time in um, franchise history that we've been able to do that. Um, you know, it was great. It was a great feeling. Great team win, too. A lot of team wins. Every game was close. So uh, right now, you know, we got, we uh, just finished practice, getting some shots up, and then, uh, you know, we got a big one tomorrow, game one. You uh, This year, I'm looking at your stats for this year. You're averaging uh, 6.8 points, uh, 1.4 assists, 4.9 rebounds in 20 minutes a game. What's it like playing down in Mexico and how different is it for, you know, I guess compared to playing in the United States aside from things like the language barrier and all that? Um, being in Mexico has actually been one of the better places I've been when it comes to being overseas because you are kind of still in North America. So you get kind of like that feel of, oh man, I'm not, you know, too far from home. You know, I'm only about uh, a three, four hour flight away from being home. So I love it. I love it here. Um, you know, for me, I was having a great year up until I got hurt, hurt my foot. I missed about six games, so I'm just now starting to get my rhythm back. So, um, for me, it was a it was a good good first half of the year. Had some really really big games. So now, you know, I was out for about I want to say almost a month, and then just trying to get everything back. And I kind of started to hit my stride right now, back um, you know at a perfect time because you know it's the playoffs. Well, yeah, exactly. The timing couldn't be better on that. So, give me some of the guys on your teams that maybe some college basketball fans from the states might be familiar with. Uh, we got a guy named Donald Sims. He played at Appalachian State. Um, uh, probably their all-time leading scorer there. Big, big, big-time guard. Um, Jerome Mienzi, center from UVA. And uh, it's funny because Jerome was a senior when I was a freshman at UVA. So right. I know him for, you know, since I was a kid almost. Rodney Green, who went to LaSalle. His team went to the Sweet 16 um, with the TBT. So, you know, he had a good summer, and he's been playing great for us. Um, you know, everybody else is pretty much local. Then we got guys like, um, you know, in the league, John Flowers, he played at West Virginia. You got guys like uh, um, Joel James, who played at North Carolina. He played for Capitana as the team we just beat. Mm-hmm. So you got guys um, all throughout the league. Um, Greg Smith, he played in the NBA for a little bit. He's with a team um, that's in the Final Four as well as us. So it's a lot of guys here. It's a lot of good talent that's heading down there, man. That's good to know. So let's take you back in uh, back in time a little bit. Hop in the way back machine, 2011 oh, to 2014. Way back, way back. Not, I don't say way back. Don't say way back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, but you know you came to UC. You're from the DMV originally. Yeah. You went to yes. uh, you went to UVA for one year and transferred yeah. to UCF. What 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 made you decide to go to UCF over any number of schools that you could have gone to when you left UVA? Um, honestly, when I took my visit down there, I felt comfortable. Um, Coach Jones was starting, uh, you know, something new, and I wanted to be a part of it. And then I loved it, man. When I walked on campus, I'm from D.C., so it's cold. And and, I, and in Charlottesville, UVA was cold as well. So when I got down there, I seen the weather, and everything was nice, and the facilities. And, you know, the, I didn't know that UCF was one of the biggest schools in the country. And, um, every, and everything, you know what I mean? Everything was just up and coming, and it felt great to be, you know, a part of that. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I was excited. You made an immediate impact when you um, when you came to UCF, and I'm looking back at you know some of your stats. You know that first year, seven points in Conference USA, but then you worked your way into the starting lineup for your junior and senior years. You averaged over 11 points, uh, and and you played on some teams that were really, I, I think, key in transitioning UCF from 
uh, from from Conference USA and then into the American where UCF played in your in your senior year. What was that transition like for the program? Because you were on the front lines of it, and you and there were some teams that came from Conference USA with you to the American, but not everybody. It was a big step up in competition, wasn't it? It was huge for us, and I mean, um, at a point where we lost, you know, to me, arguably dec- player, you know, decade player of the year. Since we you know we're talking about the you know the decade thing, you know, we lost Keith Clinton as we go to the toughest conference in America. Almost, you know, we had Louisville who won the year before, mm-hmm. UConn who won the national championship that year in the American. Um, SMU was top five. I think SMU didn't lose a game. But, but, like I think Cincy and, and um, SMU are like combined like twenty four and one. Yeah, you know. And then you still have your Temple, who's really good. Rutgers was always going to be good. They're tough to beat. They're you know I think they're ranked this year. You know what I mean? So for us, it was tough. I mean we had we you know me and Isaiah were the two leaders. We were the two older guys. Uh, and then we had a bunch of young guys. Matt Williams, he was super young then. Um, you know we had uh, Brandon Goodwin. You know who's killing for the Hawks right now? But he yeah, he's freshman. in the NBA. He's in the NBA. He was a freshman, and uh, you know we have big Justin McBride. And I thought, you know, to me, I thought Justin was probably the most potential. Potential. How was the word I'm looking for? He had the most potential, but like it just was oozing out of him. Like I never seen a kid with that much potential being 6'10", 340, soft touch, could pass, could shoot, could get up and down the court. You know, so we were really young, but I think we just didn't have enough time to put it together. You know, maybe if Isaiah, you know, who arguably could have been decade player, player of the decade himself, you know, he had triple doubles and everything. So, you know, I, I mean, I think me and Isaiah maybe had one more year with that group. I think we really could have set it off. I think that could have been, you know, really big for us. But it was it was just kind of like, ah, we're older, we're leaving, they're too young. You know, it was tough. It was very tough. Yeah. Hank, Eric's back with – Eric Lopez, by the way, is back with us now here. So, Tristan, tell me about – we got you – we wanted to reach out to you because you'd reached out to me on Twitter and we're yes. talking about the UCF all decade team. And we got you yes. on this team because, well, obviously you deserve it. You know, the, all, all the games God. you great played game. and, and uh, the great, a lot. yeah. And the great moments that you gave us, we got, uh, so I got to get your, I got to get your input first of all on our starting five here because you fashion oh, yeah, yeah, yourself. Yeah, we got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. I, I right. Got, yeah. Got, and you, you know, I'm still close with everybody. Mostly right. everybody. I talk to everybody a lot. So for me, it's funny being able to put this in the group chat and get everybody's opinions. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the uh, starting five. Because I might do my Love starting it. five might be different. I'm telling you. Okay. My five might be a little different. All right. So so here's – so and you fashion yourself, by the way, as a, as a historian on UCF basketball, and you got some cred yes. to back up with that. So, all right. Here was – it was myself and Luke Saris and Eric and Brian Murphy. We all put our heads together and we came up with this starting five, right? We got B.J. Taylor and Matt Williams okay. in the backcourt. BJ Matt, okay, I hear okay. You. I, okay, 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 okay. We've uh, we've got Isaiah Sykes and Keith Clanton as the forwards. Okay, I'm not mad at that. And <laughs> go good, I'm glad. And then <laughs> those are my guys. Look, I know all of these. And are, then, all of these are my guys too. So it's so funny because I, you know, even Taco. I just talked to Taco a couple of days ago, maybe like a week ago. So all these are my guys. So yeah, this is okay. Put, you, we put Taco in at the center. So what do you think about that starting five? I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna lie to you. I might have to, you know, and and I might have to have Marcus Jordan starting, man. Marcus might gotta be my starter. Okay. He All might right. have to. Marcus had a Marcus and here's my here's my vouch for Marcus. Okay. Marcus really when we first made that transition first of all everybody think we need to thank marcus because we're all nike now let's be honest <laughs> let's just give him the thanks thank you mike i'm glad and somebody then, said it i couldn't say it but yeah, i'm glad you okay. said it, I'll say it. <laughs> come on i'm, I'm appreciative because it might have been a different Trish's bro like if we were still adidas we're nike i was happy hey we're good to go 
<laughs> so now you got to think, Marcus. Marcus had a great, a great sophomore run. I think that was his, was that his sophomore or junior year, because he didn't come back for his senior year. Maybe that was his junior year where we were ranked. No, yeah. his sophomore yeah. year. His sophomore year. Sophomore his sophomore year. year yeah. he, we were ranked. We were ranked, not just like top twenty-five. We were, I think, at one point thirteen or fourteen. We were. We had win. I think we had won like sixteen straight games. We had beat Florida yeah. at the Amway. We had beat um. That, that was the sophomore year. Yeah, we beat Florida at the Amway. We beat, we went down to Miami, beat Miami. Got to, I, I'm huge on having Marcus in that in that starting group just because like, I just I just feel like he did so much in a short period of time. He I was think really we, good, really really good for a short period of time. He only you know his freshman year was okay, sophomore year was great, junior year we were up and down, still went to the NIT, mm-hmm. and then you know he didn't come back for his senior year. But I mean, uh, I mean he he won a lot. We won a lot of games, and he he was a big part of that. Big part yeah. of that. We've got him on there. We got him as like the sixth man. We've got oh, and, uh, our, and, yeah. I see him up there. Yeah, no, he got. Yeah. I mean, he's on the team. Yeah, well, and I, I'll tell you this, Tristan. I mean, and Jeff, I think will allow me to share this. We've done like all these decade teams for all these other UCF sports. There was not a more hotly debated in, in, within <laughs> the staff. We had the staff picked, and Jeff can back me up. There was not a more highly debated hot topic than that guard position between Matt Williams, Marcus Jordan, who had had his and. And Aubrey Dawson. That was the constant. Oh, man. Yeah. I forgot about Aub. See, Aub's Aub's a tough case because he's kind of like he's kind of like a mini a mini Marcus because he only played really Uh, one year. I wish we could have had him for two, don't you? I love Aub, man. I see Aub every me. Aub is my guy. Every time I lead him, I always see Aubrey in there. See, and and Caesar too. Caesar's another guy who's playing now. I saw him every single night in the gym. So nothing he's doing this season surprises me because he's a gym rat. But that's so tough. I love it. I love. I love all. I love all. Great guy too. Yeah. Great guy. No, and I'm um, saying it was hard. It was hard to pick oh, on a starter. Uh, Matt got the nod for a few couple. See, reasons. yeah. Okay. Now here's my here's my question with Matt. Here's my okay. question yeah. with Matt. Matt got the nod over Marcus because of longevity, or do y'all think, or or body of work? Because Matt had a great last year. I think his last year. Oh my gosh, he set records hitting threes from half court. It was like mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Dawkins came in and just unlocked the Matt Williams code. I mean, but the crazy part is, the crazy part is, Matt Williams as a freshman, first day of freshman, first day of freshman pickup, shoots a shot, two steps inside of half court, switches it right in my face. I said, oh, he's different. I'm like, <laughs> it, it like was telling me, like, you have to come guard me, hit a shot, boom. I said, I was like, what is this? Where, where we get this kid from? He come in shooting from half court and was lights out from day one. Matt would have been really, really good. Matt got hurt, too, his freshman right. year. Got sick yep. and had that. So, I mean, Matt, some stuff derailed Matt, too. Matt could have been an easy 12, 13, 14 point score a game, you know? I think it's because um, he came out of there with the all-time three-point lead. I think that's probably why. Yeah, you got to give him that now. Okay, so he's the all-time three-point shooter of the decade. Arguably maybe the best shooter ever in program history. I mean, the guy, I mean, Arguably, 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 because I love um, (laughs) M.O.D. That's my guy. I'm not going to disrespect my man. I'm not going to disrespect my guy. Uh, I don't want to get a text from him, but M.O.D.'s up there, but I'm not going to lie to you. One shot in the gym. I'm, I'm putting my money on Matt Williams for sure, for sure. Right. Not even close. All yeah, right, so Matt, let me give Matt, you, yeah. let me give you the last four guys we got. We put AJ Ramsa in there, and I know got that some to. fans he might, might think be Mr. UCF. Might right. Be Mr. I mean, UCF. and I and I know that a lot of fans are kind of you know he's kind of has a, a mixed reputation with the fans because of how everything ended. But look, I watched no, the, I, I watched so the games, all. man. He was he was a spark plug. I don't think I don't think AJ has a mixed rep mixed the most. I think they I think you know if you poll. Ninety-five percent of fans love AJ. AJ yeah. is the guy, man. I've never been at a school with a with a guy bigger than AJ Romsey. We had Marcus Jordan on the team. AJ Romsey <laughs> was like 
a cut above all of us. No, I'm, I mean, yeah, it was still just remember the buzzer beaters against Tulsa. The shot. Yeah. The shot. The shot. He, I, I was lifting him up. I remember. I was, uh, I was sitting out that year. I was lifting him up. AJ was huge for us. Yeah. I think, I think if AJ was around now with the social media era, he'd be way bigger. You know, if if he was playing at this point, the stuff he was doing, the step back threes, and the you know, AJ had some flair with him. He didn't care. He was gonna shimmy. He was gonna put his tongue out. He was gonna talk trash to you. Yeah, um, I think AJ guard wise, you gotta put him up there. Stats wise, I don't think his stats jump out at you um, because he was a real. You know, he really was playing the point. He wasn't like you know trying right. to shoot every shot, but. Uh, yeah, AJ got to be up there for me. He's got to, yeah, yeah, he's got to be up there. Great, gotta great, there. great ball handler, great facilitator, leader, and was leader, clutch. Leader, it, it, he was a leader. He was a leader. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't stat that. Heart and, and soul, got us ramp, got us ready to go to war before every game. AJ could talk you into running into a wall for him. And then we got three forwards. We got AJ Davis, Colin mm-hmm. Smith, who's on the team now, mm-hmm. of course, and Chad Brown, who just graduated. What do you think? Not mad at Colin. He's having a great year great year for us this year he's putting up some good numbers being really solid being the anchor for us honestly you know because i don't get to watch every game but bosco wise it seems like he's just the same double doubling guy every night or you know close to it um not mad at that aj davis had a very very underrated he could have snuck into that starting five. Oh, it's so tough because you see i like hc i, I would have put i honestly might have put um zeke at the point to be honest with you, because Zeke played a lot of point. I know we have him at the three, but Zeke was great at the one. He had the most triple doubles in a NCAA season, right? At one point, so you might have to put slide Zeke to the I point. Want you, I want you to, I want you to talk about Zeke. I mean, what made him so great? Because I remember him as a freshman coming in. He was still mm-hmm. learning and mm-hmm. off, and he just blossomed and he worked his tail off and made himself the player that he was. Just talk about him, you know, being around. The what made him so good? Because I, I was he made himself good. Freshman year to, yeah, from his freshman year, he, I mean, I've never seen a player make a jump. Man, it was him. It was him. He decided like I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna. I, I, Zeke was the first person who understood how Zeke played. So what he learned was this is how I can score. This is how I can be great. This is what I'm gonna do, and no one's gonna make me do anything else. Like you're not gonna make me shoot five threes a game because that's not what I want to do. I want to get to the high spots. And I'm gonna get to the rim, and and he worked on it. He just did it every summer. He he worked on it. He worked on his shot, but. He was unstoppable going to the basket, definitely going left. If he got if he got ahead of steam going left, you might as well cancel Christmas because he was going to get to that spot. He was going to bump you and one you and score. And uh, he also passed the ball. He wasn't selfish. Great, great teammate. Loved to be around him. We lived together. Me and Zeke lived together. Me, Zeke, and Keith lived together for, I think, a year and a half, two years. And it was great. It was cool. Um, yeah, I think Zeke Zeke might have been my point guard on that, uh, that team. In that okay. five. I, might, I might move Zeke to the one. See, my, see I'm, my five is more like who we can beat. Like, if I had to take my five and say, right, this is my decade five, who who can we beat? Like, I think we could beat this team. We could have beat that team. So my so five looks five? a little who's different. Who's your five? Who's yeah, give us your five. Uh, 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 come on, let's not do this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not so easy. It's not so easy. No, 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 listen, they're not going to get mad at you. Because my five is, my five is going to be all guys I played with. Okay. You know what I mean? So my five is going to be guys that I got to be on the court with because I know for a fact, like, okay, I know what. You know what I mean? So my five might have been Zeke at the one. Yep. Zeke at the one. I'm going to go um, Matt at the two. I'm going to mm-hmm. go um, – I, I really like – I really like me at the three, Keith at the four, and then – actually, you know what? I'm going to go A.J. Davis at the three. A.J. Okay. Davis at the three, me at the four, Keith at the five. Sorry, okay. Talk. I didn't play with you. Sorry, Talk. Love you, Talk. Love you, Talk. I didn't play with you. We would have pick and popped you all day, Talk. Sorry. Sorry, who, I got um, my dogs. 
So, so who do you think we're probably missing out of this out of this group of twelve guys? Who you think? Because, mm-hmm. because a lot of things about these UCF guys that I, that I like is that they got so much better after UCF. Like you got the Shahid Davis is playing top level Japan. Right. You know, he's having a great career. He played in Italy last year, one of the biggest clubs in Italy. Um, but he didn't have the greatest UCF career. You know what I mean? Um, you got guys who was Brandon Goodwin. I mean, we can't really I mean yeah, good put him on good. there. But I mean, if you could, he's had a great, he had a great, uh, great, great pro career. He's killing it right now. So I just I mean, watched just him beat the Magic in person the other a uh, few weeks ago. Do you see him lot. do the slip? It? You see them do the slip oh, and slide? Yeah. I know, man. He's looking great. Me and AJ, me, me and Brain literally talked talked a couple like maybe three days ago. We were just laughing about everything. Who? So, now, it's funny. Now you said you come back to campus every, you know, over the summer. Um, every year, and every summer. Every I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm there. So, so tell us about like what what Coach Dawkins does for the alumni like you guys, letting you guys into the gym. Coach Dawkins is great. He opens up the gym for us. Um, let's just change in the locker room, everything, you know. And it's pretty much the same staff that's there. Still same security. Wit, my dog Wit, still does the laundry there. So I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's like familiar faces. It's like family when you walk back in there. Um, the all the assistant coaches are great. They all want to, you know, come talk if you need anything. If you need anybody to make a call for you, they're willing to do it. So it's great. They, I mean, UCF is. No, they 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 really big on bringing us back and making sure we're you know in the gym and and, and visual and there. Do you still keep in touch with Coach Jones? I know he's having a pretty good year up at Stetson Coach, this year. I talk to Coach Jones all the time. Now that he's at Stetson, I wanted to come see him this summer, but I didn't. Me and Keith didn't get a chance. But yeah, I always talk to Coach Jones. He always hit me up um, after games when he sees the score. You know, says hey, good game, or you know, you know, work on this and work on that. But Coach Jones, you know, was a real big part of me developing you know in a lot of different areas you know just not letting me just shoot the three but telling me dunk everything dunk you need to dunk more you're not dunking enough he used to be like you're acting like will chamberlain's in the paint go dunk the ball so you know coach jones was really big for me with some of my best dunks because he you know yelled at me <laughs> told me i was playing soft go dunk the ball I, okay coach i'm just gonna jump and was that i'm just gonna was that oh i was gonna say was that for you like the, the like when the light went off when you were playing college basketball is like you know i i know you know a coach like coach jones knows he sees my potential to do something and then like was that the real like light going off in your in your head about like the potential that you could reach as a player mm, i think coach helped me focus more um i think i knew that coming in because i was highly tattered out of high school and then once I got to college, UVA kind of like derailed me a little. I kind of got down on myself. But when that sit out here, coach really pushed me to be everything. Shoot more threes. Shoot more threes. You can shoot. Shoot more. Drive more. Dribble more. So, you know, at times, it would be nothing for me to be the backup to. And I think my my junior year, I was like the backup point because, you know, Daquan was young. We had a lot of young guys. So he was like, Church, you got to play the point. You got to bring it up now. Or point forward. Get a ball rebound. Get it a push. Or, all right, you will be at the three today. I was just at the five or the four last week. Nope. Four, three. So he was great for me. Great. 100%. Go ahead, Eric. Talk about Keith. Uh, he was actually at the South Florida game. Uh, this yeah, Saturday. man. He got to go home. Yeah, he got good courtside seats, too. A guy knows what he knows. I got to get around. <laughs> yeah, how do you get courtside seats? NCAA hey, needs to look into that. NCAA I know. Into that. <laughs> But we need you to, need talk. to talk to him. He knows, he knows watch people him. there. Uh, yeah, watch like, him, man. Well, act, like, about... act like he did something at UCF. Man. <laughs> games or something. Oh, I just want to say, I just want to yeah. say for my all-decade team, Keith is my center because he hit the biggest layup maybe in UCF history when we beat Memphis. You got to get that. one at the time I was there, yeah. And, and the free throw, and the free throw. Yep. Well, he was such a great player. Guy. I mean, he, talk about him, about what it was like to play with him because – 
I, I don't know. I think I think he maybe was underappreciated at the time, but I think people reflect him. Mean, yeah. He's one of the best players ever in program history. He's probably going to get into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame here within the next For sure. year, or two, if not sooner. What, what made him such a great player? Uh, I think the fact that he was probably Mr. Consistent. He was so consistent every game. You knew what you were getting from Keith. You knew whether it would be blocks, rebounds. Is he is he number one in blocks? He's oh, up there. I got it. I got it. Tacos, yeah, Tacos number one. Taco and Keith. If you look at every def- defensive stat right now, it's Taco and Keith. It's a very safe bet right now. Yeah, 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 for sure. Every everything, yeah. So I mean, you gotta think. So you minus Taco, Keith is probably arguably the greatest defensive player there. Rebounds, blocks, and he scored. You know, his senior year was a little up and down because teams just collapsed on him. But you know, me and Isaiah, we um we benefited from that every time. I mean, it was one game versus ECU. I had like twenty five and twelve because Keith was getting triple team, and I'm just getting open looks. Zeke had a triple double because Zeke because every team was like Keith's not gonna beat us. So me and Zeke got it. were able to. Uh, to expect uh, expand our games, so then it was it was great for us. It was really good. I loved it. Yeah, you know who you know who might have to sneak in. You know who might have to sneak in my decade team, man. We might have to talk about Casey Wilson, man, because he led the NCAA in three point percentage. He might got to get some. You know, he didn't have the greatest senior year, but he had his his sophomore year. Junior year was a good year. He led the yeah, NCAA he was in three point percentage. Shooter. Yeah. Yeah, we he's, might. Uh, he might not get enough you know, votes his, to get his in. His name but. has popped up. His name has popped up as a snub, and you know, you know how this works, right? Like, no matter who yeah. you put oh, in, oh, he's going to be a snub. It, it, oh, for yeah, sure. It's, for it's sure. unbelievable. But I, he's definitely a name that's come up as far as in the conversation from feedback from fans and things like that. And you're right; he was a three point shooter expert. What was the Memphis game? Is that your favorite moment of your UCF career? What was your favorite <sighs> moment game that, that jumps out? I mean, that Memphis game. I remember the fans. That Memphis before. game. It was huge. Moment as a, as a as a team, that was the biggest one because that was my first time ever being part of somebody rushing the court. But honestly, the win versus UConn, we beat UConn the year after they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, beat them handedly, That's kind one of beat them by like eight or nine. Yep, that was huge for us. Yep. Uh, I think we celebrated that for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we celebrated that one for like three weeks. Every time we hey, let's, hey, we beat UConn. Um, that one. I mean, personally, I had some personal games that I appreciated. Every win versus USF was great. I think the last one my senior year at their place, that was a big one. I had like I had one of the my best stat lines. It was crazy. It was like 16, 11, 7, 5, 3. It was something. It was something ridiculous. Um, and then the only game I remember that I really liked that we lost was at Louisville. I had a really good game at Louisville, but yeah. that was the only one that like you know, like they like twenty five and ten. And then everything else was wins. All our big wins on the road. Uh, but yeah, Memphis was probably because that was our first time beating Memphis in school history. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Memphis that was, was a big one. That was when that was when Memphis was Memphis. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of they're kind of trying to be Memphis again now, but that, right. they were, Penny, yeah. yeah, that's when I think uh, Cali Perry had just left. Derrick Rose, you know, they still had Tyreek Evans was had just left. They had both the Bartons. They had uh, yeah. Tyreek Black. Yeah, they had a lot of guys. They were good. DJ Steffens who could jump out on a trampoline. They had a lot of guys, but we yeah. we beat them. And then uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. We beat them, stormed the court, and played them at Memphis like six days later, and they beat us by like twenty. And I was like, "Oh, this is a different team." I was like, "Oh yeah, this is a different team that they play. Yeah, we're not going to win this one, fellas. Yeah. It's okay." <laughs> They're like, "They were it's they okay. were ready for us that game." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, hey, this is why you don't storm the court. Okay, I get it. I get it. What do you what do you miss the most? Better, by the way, we didn't our oh. defense. We didn't know any better back then. You know? Right? No, no, no. Everything man, was yeah. new. Everything was new. Yeah. I think it's kind of great that Johnny has us now expecting to win. You know, right. I think it's more and, and 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 you know, 
I'm on the other side of it. So it's kind of, you know, I watched the the tweets and the stuff people say during the games. And it's kind of like, wow, they didn't say this about me when I was playing. But, um, <laughs> you know, I like us this year. I do. I think we're a little up and down. I think we're trying to find our identity. We got so many new guys playing. Not like we have new guys on the team. We have a lot of new guys playing. Um, so when you got like four guys who are integrated on the team, it's their first time playing together. It's going to take a minute to even get the right lineup, let alone no guy spots. And it's right. just different. So, uh, um yeah, I think we got a, I think we have a solid team, though. Solid. What do you miss the most about your time at UCF? Oh man, that's tough. Love the weather. Uh, <laughs> love being down in Florida. Let me see, man. Uh, my oh, being with my team, being with my guys every single day. Cause my 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 unit, the the solid seven guys I was with were the best. Keith, Zeke, Dwight McCombs, like my big brother. I talked to Dwight McCombs every day. I talked to Keith every day in the summertime when we get back. Um. Uh, guys I've been with like forever we just went to Dwight's baby shower this summer you know Amar Thompson who was only there for a couple years with me Dave Dykite who lives you know is from DC so when I committed and came down to UCF I was in his room every day for the first two months I didn't leave his room (laughs) I didn't know anybody didn't talk to anybody but if you needed to find Tristan I was in Dave's room um yeah my guys man romps up even Marcus you know even being with Marcus you know and a lot of people can say what they want but Marcus was cool man Marcus was like every other teammate if he was your friend he was your friend if you didn't really talk to him you really didn't talk to him but Marcus was was great when it came to coming to every function chilling being a part of the jokes laughs everything so it was cool man I love my I love my you know they're my best friend of all time man you know Rod Days that was my like my little brother I was with him all three years you know he was there so it was great I had fun Casey I mean I, I literally I can just go down the list and name everybody I played with Bobby Herdowski you know what I mean? Bobby was a manager who went, became a player. Now he's assistant coach. Now, man, mm-hmm. all my guys were good. All of them loved them. Gosh, it was a good time. That was. I, I think that you know, UCF basketball. You know, they we just celebrated the fiftieth anniversary of the first UCF team, and there's been a lot yeah, of eras right. in UCF basketball. And I think that the era that you guys played in, you and those guys, was such a critical era because you know, I mean, there were there were some great highs and even the lows, you know, showed the potential that the program could have. I guess my last question for you, and then I'll turn you over to Eric if he's got anything more, is where were you uh, last March for that first round of the tournament? And I was, I was, I was at home. I'm, man, I have video, I have proof of all of this. I was at home. I have guys who go to who friends who went to VCU. I had because um, you know I'm not in NCAA anymore. I had bets. Yeah, we won that game, and I have like so many Duke friends who never went to Duke. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I have so many Duke friends who never stepped on a uh, you know Duke you know floor. Never met Coach K, but they <laughs> never even been in the state of Duke. North Carolina. Never, you never <laughs> even like met anybody who played at Duke, but you just love Duke so much. So I was, I you know, I was talking trash, and one of my um, good friends, Andre Dawkins, he actually played at Duke. So it was you know funny for me like tweeting him, and then all of my friends were like on his side, like yeah, you right, Andre. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, guys. I'm like. About to go watch the game with you guys. What is going on here? <laughs> but I had my jersey on. Because when we played VCU, I had my jersey on. I took it out the frame, put my, my senior day jersey on, and uh, watched the game from start to finish, and we won. So I did the same exact thing. I was going to go out and chill, but I stayed in, sat on the sofa with jersey on, and I feel like we got cheated anyway. But it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm still not over that one. That one kind of hurt. Dude, we're not, hurt. I, we're not, we're not going to, I don't think we're ever going to get over that game as long as we all live. But I tell you kind of hurt oh. really don't really want to talk about how you know what i'm saying you're allowed to just push a guy under the basket and then get the <laughs> offensive rebound to get the fouls cool we're not going to talk about that one 
Okay. Or the so or the other good. three or four times that happened. I'll leave, I, 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 I want I want Eric Come to have on. the like, last word. Like, and then here's my thing, right? We were so close. Like, we were. I know. Aubrey, if the ball, just, and, and and the thing is, everybody wants to focus on the Aubrey tip, but I focus on Dayon throwing the lob. If Dayon don't throw the lob, we good. Dayon just hold the ball, baby. That's what I would have done. I would have been nervous, but you know, he had just thrown the lob to Chad. Chad dunked it, and uh, you know, I, and I think Chad is like AJ when it comes to the decade list. Like numbers don't scream at you, but yes. Chad. Had it left a big impression. So I could see why some people might be mad that Chad slid in there because off numbers and starts and career stuff, maybe. But Chad, what, like, what he, I used to call him Mr. UCF. Like, he was just on everything. Yeah. He, everything. He brought so much energy and stuff. And Chad was kind of like, his numbers are down more so because he's a true center and he was behind Taco. Him and Taco came in together. So he was never right. going to, you know, like start over Taco. So it was kind of hard. And you can't really play them together. So, I, you know, I, but I like that. You so that's what made him so was, valuable was yeah. when Taco was in foul trouble or matchups kind of dictate where Taco couldn't be on the court. They could bring in Chad and he was the energy guy. And you have to have that. Right. And it's a team when maybe some nights you're coming out flat. There's that guy that comes in and brings the energy. And that was Chad Brown. That's why we we, no one, we, we put him on the team because he, he was like a leader. He was like that. You mentioned it. The stats do not describe what Chad Brown meant to the program and those teams. Right. Who would you guys? Okay, here. Who do you guys think got the biggest snub? That's my question. Who do you guys uh, think? Looking at y'all list think, and who y'all had, who do y'all I think say? You're right. I think Casey has the argument. I think you made a good. Casey is probably the one that probably with a shooting. Uh, that was hard. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was hard. But again, who do? You, it, it's always the 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 argument. Well, who do you take out? Right. I mean, these guys yeah, are all worthy. Have their own deal. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I could. I could. I, 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 I was just happy when your name came up that everybody was in approval. I was worried I had to fight oh, yeah. for you. But, yeah. Oh, I appreciate that too, man. Hey, listen, man. Don't make me have to bring out the stat book, man. I have to start checking off some games and stuff, some wins, some key wins we got. You know, I don't want to have to do that. I was glad to see me up there too. Cause I would have been a different conversation on here. I'd have been, hey, had to politics for myself. <laughs> hey, guys, come on, man. I'm glad well, we now, got the W too. Now let me ask you. Now you transferred here, now, and because this has been a topic here, obviously with uh, Dejan Ingram transferring in, Matt Milan transferring in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I think people always, you know, hey, they should just blend in right away. But it's not that simple, right? I mean, you're and you got to think school, these guys got to learn everything. Yeah, these guys transferred in and had to play right away. I got to sit for a year. Right. I got to sit. I got to, you know, you know, pretty much be on like? the team and not be on the team. Hard. Yeah, it's right the hard, now, what it's is the that like? Sitting or they're playing right away. All of the above. Just take me through that process because I don't think fans understand what you have to go through when you Man, do come in as a. Sitting is hard. Sitting is one of the is one of the hardest things you have to do because you're doing everything they're doing every day. I'm going to shoot around. I'm going to class. I'm going to practice. I'm doing conditioning. I'm lifting weights. I'm running. I'm practicing just as hard as they are. And then game day, I'm sitting there in a polo having to watch. It sucks. It's the hardest thing. And then you kind of get rust because now you're like, ah, oh, all right. So this move that I know will work. I'm got to work on this. Got to work on that. Then the next year comes in, you pretty much have a whole new team. So, uh, you know, some guys transfer, some guys leave. Some, you know, you got guys who who freshmen come in. So now it's it's still not a hundred percent. Like you're still adjusting. When you got to come in, and, and and it's not as hard of an adjustment as my guys like Dayon and Matt Milan and even um, the kid from Texas A&M. I don't, I don't want to mess his name up. I forgot, but Mayhan, yeah, Mayhan, yeah. I seen him this summer too. Can really shoot it, Mayhan. He, they had to come in and play right away. That's that's even more difficult because now you're learning on the fly. Now you're like, mm-hmm. all right, do I, uh, all right, uh, do I want to do this? You know, I played for a whole other team last year. You know, Day, Day's on. He's he's in a different situation because he actually played a lot at Alabama. Was asked to do a lot at Alabama, but Matt was too in a whole different system. So now you're leaving your comfort zone where you was at for three years, where you were, where all your friends are. 
And especially, you know, Matt might have it a little bit easier because he's from Orlando. You know, I remember him coming to UCF camps. So, you know, it might be a little different for him, but for everybody else, that's that's tough. That's a tough adjustment. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it's been, it was a lot of fun watching you play. It was a lot, of, and, and that group in particular. And Man, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. I feel like we, I, I feel like the nightmare section was was really good with us, but it got great as when, you know, when, when the yeah. team started winning, when Johnny came and I would have loved to play to some of those blackout crowds. We had a couple, we played a couple of those crowds. Um, I don't know if you guys remember them Southern Miss games. Those were yeah, Southern Miss was played. always tough, man. That, that I don't know what Larry it is about H. that program. Larry Eustacey, yeah. yeah. Gosh, and then playing in Southern Miss, boy, playing at Southern Miss was a whole other ball game. You playing at Southern Miss, man, you might as well just hope you can get out of there, let alone win. Right. Um, <laughs> man, it was rough playing down there. But, yeah, no, nah, we had some I, – I love how the nightmare is now. I love that, you know, I, you know, when I say UCF, it just brings such a big bell. And, and guys, I'm also a huge – football fan you say a football game fan so if we have any more oh i had a, i almost had an argument with the running backs too for the all decade team oh, okay okay what, hit what hit us have? up listen listen we're, one name we're not going to forget is storm johnson i just want to say that i just want to throw that out there storm johnson was really big for us at ucf at running back well latavius got hurt that year storm came in and played great and then tay came in and took it over so i'm just saying we gotta we gotta remember him too I got. Let's see. I'm, I'm. I'm pulling that. I'm pulling it up right now. We got Storm we, on the team. I we think have, we had him in the second team. We right had him now. on we the second team. Yeah. That's right. We had who's him on the first, second team. The, Latavius got to be one. Uh, Latavius is one. Team, right? And we put Adrian yeah. Killens as the second running back on the first team. Okay. I'm not mad at that. I love AK. Love him. He's. He's. Oh my goodness. He's gonna be. He, he's gonna be on Sunday. He's gonna play on Sunday for sure. Yeah. For sure. You I see you that. see the game he had at the uh at the Shrine Bowl too? He uh I watched I think the highlights. He had, I watched his highlights. I didn't get to watch the game. I watched the highlights. He had uh he had seven catches in the game for ninety one yards. And who did you uh, guys start at quarterback? That's a really good question. Who who was the starting quarterback of that team? That's what uh, I, of the all decade team. Who we got? All right, up we there? put we put Mackenzie Milton as the starter on the first team and then on the Ooh, second team we whoa, on the second whoa, team we put Blake. Hold on Blake. now, let's talk about this. Let's talk okay. about this. Let's not let let's not let NFL Blake get us distracted from college Blake. <laughs> it's, let's it's let's not let's not let college Blake get us distracted from what Blake did. We went to Baylor when Baylor was putting sixty on people, and and really put. Uh, I, I love I love Milton. No, that boy could play. Boy, I'm so upset. I was so upset when he got hurt. That boy got game. It's a it's a hard it's a hard call, man. I you know I it was an easier see, call for I'm Eric when he wrote it up. Guys, I'm always gonna go for guys. <laughs> that I went to school with me and Blake had classes together. I remember when Blake in class told me, yeah, I think I'm going to start a quarterback. And I was like, start a quarterback? We got Jeff Godfrey. What you? You right. started a quarterback. Uh, it's tough. It's tough on that well, listen, one. I I, like, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you got Blake's back. Because, I mean, and you know, yeah. Milton's obviously his numbers. He was a top uh, 10 Heisman finalist uh, back, uh, back-to-back yeah, um, years. That, you know, he won 100%. out in our vote. But and he, Blake and he was Auburn. amazing. But Blake was but, but, amazing. Without question, and I hope people don't lose track of that because think of all the comebacks he helped us too. Oh yeah, to get to the Baylor Fiesta Bowl. I think back to the comeback against Louisville that year against Teddy Bridgewater head to head. It beat him. Comeback, yeah, it beat, beat him. him. Exactly. JJ Wharton with the catch. JJ Wharton with yep. the catch. JJ yep. Wharton with the catch. Jeff Godfrey. Jeff Godfrey got to get some more love too. See, he was the one. He was the one that I that I'm 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 sad we couldn't fit in because Jeff argued for him. It was hard to figure I out. I really where did. To put him. Yeah. I because you know I, I think I think I would want to put him in as like a slash guy, right? Uh, yeah. And, yeah, you can't. Yeah, because I mean he wasn't he wasn't Jeff won us some games, but he wasn't better than 
he wasn't consistently better than Blake or or Milton. Right. And then at wide receiver, he just didn't do enough to beat a guy out like a Speedy or a JJ or a, or a, um, Rashad. You right. Know, or, but you know, you know it I, takes I, it takes a special kind of guy to be a team guy and like and, that's and like what he was. He when you were a freshman and you're the quarterback and you're and then and then he, I remember he initially left and then he came back and he's like, look, I'll play wide receiver, I'll do whatever I have to do for the team, and I always yeah. loved him for that as a fan. I remember when he left, we were like, what are we gonna do a quarterback? This <laughs> the quarterback. Left and came back, so I'll do whatever, you, I'll play wherever you want me to play. I'll be quiet, and you know, Larry runs a different type of ship than. Than uh, than than Faust and 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 Hopewood are coaching now. Like you know, Leary was way different. You know, guys couldn't yeah. even have hair. Couldn't even have hair on their face. <laughs> like Coach yeah. Leary was way different. He was running a different ship. So for Jeff to come back and agree to all of that, and then you know, kind of get the role he got. You know, he scored the game winning touchdown versus Louisville. So you know, I remember watching that game. Greatest. Yeah, no, that was. Uh, that God, was what a night that was, game? man. Is that oh. our greatest football game? It's. You know, it's up there. It's in the top ten this decade, no doubt about it. It's got to, it's got because that's the one that that's the game that really ignited all this, don't you think? Mm, yeah, I think my freshman year when we beat, I think it was Georgia in one of those bowl games. Yeah, the bowl game at the Liberty yeah, Bowl. That was kind of that was kind of awakening, but but we had some good 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 players, like good guys. I remember uh, Terrence Plummer. He was big time. Big time. Yeah. Plumber's on the team. My boy there, man. He's a yeah. linebacker, man. TP, man. TP. TP might sneak in there for player of the decade for me, guys. He was unbelievable. He was... I, I made the case. I, I think we said, like, defensive, as far as, like, the best defensive players of the decade, it's him and Shaquem Griffin. I mean, they were tremendous. Yeah, him and Shaquem, I, I, I think it's clear one, two. One, two, two, one, whoever you want. I mean, it's just Shaquem brought so much, man. Every time people – you know, say she came, they say UCF, and it was huge for us, you know. So I'm not mad at that at all. I hear um, you. But TP was my guy, man. TP was huge. And we had some great cornerbacks and skill guys. That was the toughest man. one. All the DBs that we had, it was just ridiculous. Jeez. <laughs> Our DBs were tough. My, DBU, man. DBU, I'm not mad at that at all. Mike, yeah. even even Shaquille, like we got some guys, man. We got, that that that's yeah. I'm, I didn't want I don't want to be in the room for that for that discussion. The DB discussion. Put me in there for the running backs and quarterbacks. I'm not all in right. there for the DBs. Y'all. We got, y'all go with is what we go with. We got it. All right, we got to hit you up for all the for all the for the remaining ones that we've got because I know you got some good got insight. To. We got so we we're gonna work, I'm working on the uh, Eric and I are working on the all decade women's basketball team. And I know we're probably going to need your help on that. I'm telling you, a UCF historian, I, I would have that for y'all so easy. Okay, I'm going to be in on that one. I'm going to be on the panel for that one. All, all right, for I'm going to sure. make sure. I'm going to make sure I text you, and we'll make sure that that Brianna, I get your Brianna stamp of Jackson, approval. Brianna Jackson would be my best women's basketball player of the decade for sure. But she yeah. left and went to Louisville. But I don't know. She was she was she was special. She would have she would be up there for me. Cool, cool. So yeah, all right. y'all do that. Let me know. All right, man. We'll do. All right, we got. I know we got to let you go. I know you got to get ready for uh, the semifinal starting uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow. for Michoacan. Michoacan, yeah. right? Okay. Perfect. Good luck. Listen. Good luck in the semis, sir. And uh, where can UCF fans follow you if they don't already? Man, please follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, um, Tristan UCF One, um, for Twitter, and then for Instagram, I think it's T Spur T S P U and three R's. And the funny story is Dwight McCombs made that for me. I never thought I was going to use Instagram <laughs> ever. He made right, it for man. me, and that's what you know. That's what they all call me. So you know, he was like, "Just put T Spur." I was like, "All right." You no, know, and now I've, I haven't changed it, and I still use it. So it's funny. All right, Tristan, we'll be following you. I'll holler back at you with the women's team. And, uh, and hey, listen, good luck in the semis. Good luck the rest of the way. 
and uh, let us know when you're back in town, all right? Thank you. Appreciate that all-decade team, too. Thank you, guys. Gosh, that was like one of the best interviews I think we've ever had on the show. Tristan Spurlock, uh, and we're so thankful to him for taking time out of with his team in the playoffs in the Mexican Pro League and uh, and taking time for us. And uh, I, I know it went long, but I, I know, I'm hoping that you listening enjoyed it as much as Eric and I did talking to him. We'll definitely have Tristan back on um, to talk more hoops uh, A lot of fun. after the season's over. IIQ kid. High IQ, and he reached out to you, right? He reached out to you because he wanted yeah, to talk he, about the All Decade he, thing too, right? Yeah, he reached out to me on Twitter because he, he says he said, "Look, man, I'm a I'm a UCF basketball historian myself," and I was like, "All right, let's do it." And uh, and we talked about it, and, uh, and and I was interested about you know I thought what he had to say you know uh, about Marcus Jordan was really interesting. All right, so Murph, I want to bring you in on this. So mm. so Tristan brought up the point uh, that you know instead of Matt Williams at the two. Um, he would uh, Tristan would have put in um, Marcus Jordan, and he said it would have been a tough call over Aubrey Dawkins, but I think he would have put in Marcus Jordan. What do you think? I, I think that putting not only not only the, the 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 just the easy point that Matt Williams is the best shooter the school's ever had, but also the success of making it to that Final Four in the NIT mm-hmm. uh, plays a lot. And I think those two things of him of him being un, un, unquestionably, unquestionably the best shooter in school history, and making it to at that point was a a really high achievement for this program, uh, the Final Four of the NIT. I, I think that gives him a leg up. That's just my take. Certainly over Aubrey, because I we we talked a lot about Aubrey. Uh, because he was just here, and, and I saw him a lot more than I saw Marcus yeah. Jordan. And the last uh, time we saw him was that spectacular game against Duke, too. That was his. That was his masterpiece. It was fantastic. And Aubrey, even before that, uh, had some games like the Temple game they lost, right. where he was just outerworldly great. However, it was it was one year, and I think the four years of work that Matt puts together and having that accolade of being the best at something uh, gives him an edge. Yeah, I, I right. do. And by the way, it, it's worth defending Tristan. Of course, he's going to defend the guys he played with. So, right. I, you know, it wasn't a surprise he was playing, you know, defending. And Marcus was good. You know, I think the way things ended with Marcus probably didn't help there uh, when we debated a bit. And the thing about Matt, without Matt Williams, they probably don't make the NIT that year, right? I mean, he was, he just blew up, yeah. uh, which, and Murph, and that was a remarkable run to get him to the NIT Final Four. Matt Williams was a big part of that. And I remember the following year, we were like, they don't have a Matt Williams this year. Among the, uh, We talked about earlier all the issues they had injury-wise, but they didn't have a Matt Williams. It was not an easy guy to replace. Yeah. As I mentioned, he's arguably the greatest shooter of all time, if it's him or MOD, etc. But I think that I, I don't have a problem. It was a big debate between us and the staff. I know it's it been a debate outside social media as well. Uh, which is fun. I love this fact. That's what it's cool is that players care, and I think that's a cool thing. Uh, but I think Matt, yeah, for his longevity, what he set, the standard shooting-wise, I think that's why he gets the nod over Marcus and Aubrey. I do think two things. Um, number one, I would – man, if only we got another year out of Aubrey. That would have been that would have been awesome to watch. And then number two, I do think Marcus Jordan is underappreciated for what he did for UCF when he was here uh, on the floor and and also off the floor in terms of you know gaining some getting some attention for UCF and kind of raising the flag saying look over here this school is really good um, you know Michael Jordan's son's going here and it's not just that but I mean he's I think he set his own standard for it just and one of the, by the way one of the most 
amazing players that I've seen in terms of just raw ability to take the ball to the basket. He was um, he was a fullback in there, and he was and you know, he was fun to watch. And I, I don't think we I don't think we appreciated it. it I, the further we get from it, the more I appreciate the work that he did there because he was a really hardworking kid, and uh, and that was a lot of fun oh. to watch. So again, thanks to Tristan. Yeah, thanks to Tristan. And I thought, and I want to get into it with Tristan, and, and I didn't want to bring it up because we were having fun with it, and I don't care personally about it, but I do think some people, I think some of the reasons for that is the way, you know, the violations afterwards and all that stuff, you know, off the court with, you know, yeah. and, you know obviously, again, the program I think kind of soured some people. I mean, some people, you know, hurt the program a little bit uh, for a year or two from that standpoint, but I agree with you. I mean, Marcus, I mean, think back to the Florida game at Amway. Uh, think, I think back to the Marshall game. It was nearly ten thousand, and Michael. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing back then. Is hey, where's Mike? Oh, Michael Jordan's here. Wow. Yeah. You know, and he I, I, and Marcus had and for, people remember this. David Bauman will remember this too. Marcus had one of the best dunks in UCF history at Stetson in the Edmonds Center. Yep. One yep. Uh, just in a, if you, it's on YouTube. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's one. Of, it, just look up Mark, Marcus Jordan dunk at Stetson. Um, one of the most electrifying plays. Um, in UCF basketball, certainly for the last decade. So once again, thanks to Tristan. God, we love talking to him. Can't wait to talk to him the next time. It was just, it was just awesome. So thank you yeah, once Merv, again. You missed it. You, you. I mean, we were recording <laughs> while you were watching the Hall of Fame coverage, so that's why you weren't available. We understood that. Dang, you missed a good one, man. Yeah, I was, I was too busy. I was too busy overreacting to Derek Jeter's missing vote. To, uh, to, yeah, uh, too. He was too busy sleuthing out the one guy who didn't vote in Derek Jeter. But uh, anyway. Um, Again, thanks to Tristan, and uh, stick around. We're gonna be we got a little bit of football news as we wrap up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, we're back to wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. A couple of uh, news and notes that we want to pass along here. UCF in space, the men's basketball first time ever that they're doing this. February 9th against Tulsa, they revealed the uniforms. They are amazing. I got a story up on Black and Gold Banneret about that with the video that they used to reveal it. I just, man, this is awesome. There's, I, I, you know, there's a little bit of momentum behind the whole Citronaut thing. I'm just saying. Well, that needs to end. Well, that needs to end. Oh, awesome. All right. Um, I mean, uh, no, UCF Knights is fine, okay? You want to throw this out here once a year, fine, whatever. But let's not get it's so away. fun. It's it's like it's like Christmas in, in January. It's, yeah, you know it what seems. I can Well, they better win. If they lose, I want those jerseys to burn. So yes. let's win the game and then move forward. That's my fault. Women's uh, women's tennis uh, moved up to number twelve, highest ranking ever in the uh, Oracle ITA, ITA team rankings. They are uh, in. Uh, they will be uh, in Ann Arbor at uh, the University of Michigan for the ITA kickoff weekend. They face Utah on Saturday, and then will play either number fifteen Michigan or Ole Miss on. Um, Sunday, women's tennis. I tell you, Eric, this is the year for tennis. When we're going, this when are is we the going? year. We're going to do taking the show on the road. We, I, I would, I would not mind taking the show on the road. UCF men's right. tennis, by the way, starting off the season one and one, they beat Mercer and then went up to Gainesville on Sunday. They lost to number one Florida, but they are back. Or excuse me, they are they are out west this coming weekend to face number twenty four San Diego and either. Number ten UCLA or San Diego State, so uh, some tough competition as usual for UCF men's tennis. We'll be monitoring that as it goes along. Um, okay, home opener for football against uh, against University of North Carolina. 
Uh, we have a date and a time. Friday, do September. We do not have a time? Oh, you're right. Date. That's right. We do not have a time. I'm sorry. We do have finally have a date, and I guess we could probably guess the time, right? Friday, sure. September the 4th on opening weekend, UCF opening up at home against North Carolina. I would imagine that would be prime time. Uh, it is oh, yeah, being yeah. picked it'll up be, by ESPN. Probably, if I had to bet, I would bet on a 7 o'clock game yeah. just because they usually like to do double headers. They'll probably do a West Coast game at 10. Uh, so I would guess seven, unless they just don't find a West Coast game that they they like, then they can just do it at eight o'clock. So that's why we probably won't know for another couple months on that. But no surprise, uh, it's a good slot. The Friday night, which quietly has become a bigger deal for college football than even the Thursday night slot. They've had they've got, they've been carrying more quality games on Friday night. And look, they love Mac Brown. They're gonna love this North Carolina team uh, with Sam Howell. I know Murph hates the the hype, but it's gonna be. It's going to be one of the more hyped UCF home openers that I can remember in a while. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking, I mean, Jeff, I'm trying to think of the last time we had a big time. And I'm not talking about, hey, this is Scott Frost's opener against FCS. No, I'm talking about where there's going to be a lot of attention locally and nationally for this game uh, with UCF and obviously and Gabriel, you know, Dylan Gabriel against Sam Howell, Mac Brown, you know, UCF. You know, I, I think it's going to be a very hyped home opener. Um I mean, I can't remember the last time we had a big home opener like that. Usually, we open with FCS games and things like that. Yeah, but yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be significant. I think from that standpoint, great exposure. Probably since the Penn State game out in, uh, out in Ireland, I think that would probably be. Last I checked, that wasn't home. <laughs> well, yeah, fair, that's true. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. a little far from Orlando. Yeah, a little. Let's um, see, FIU in seventeen. That wasn't it. Uh, yeah, you know, we had some, we had a, you know some some excitement around. Uh, I I know it was South Carolina State, but the fact that you know Scott Frost, the new car smell in 2016, you know that was there was there was something around that. Um, this is a, I mean, as far as just wow, this is a big game, exciting big game feel. I think this will be it. I mean, you could argue. I mean, it is. It's a big game feel. I don't think I don't think we've played a Power Five team at home in the season opener. Probably since Texas. Boy, in a be, long time. Right? Texas in 07, which ironically opened but, the stadium. But that, wasn't the, the but that wasn't the season opener. We hosted we hosted, we hosted yeah. Akron to open the season in, back in 2013. Yeah, that ain't Terry it. Terry Bowden, um, baby. <laughs> I interviewed Terry Bowden when I was working at 1080. I was hosting the morning show that year, and I, had, I got the exclusive with Terry Bowden, who used to host. I was sitting on the chair where he used to sit when he was hosting the drive time show here in Orlando. So that was, that's actually one of my favorite interviews, Murph. Thanks for bringing up Akron. That's good memory. I, th- uh, I think right. I think you're right, Eric, because I'm going through all the schedules of the past uh, 15 years. It so looks like the best home opener is going to be that Texas game. Yeah, and, and UCF has never has never opened the regular season at home in the first week. Against a power conference opponent, it's never happened since Texas. No, not, not even since. Because remember, Texas oh, I mean, was. I see what you mean. You mean like literally the first like game of the year. week one. That's right. So like, because oh seven. You talking about on campus though? Because I remember they. No, not even in the not even in the Citrus Bowl. No, no that's not. They opened against Purdue Labor Day weekend in ninety nine. I would know. I was not, there. Ninety nine. All right. Let's yeah, see how good your memory is, Lopez. I was Bowl day. I, I, I drove up. I lived in Miami, but I drove up. Oh, you're right. Twice. You are man. right. My bad. All right. So, so I'm like, man, that'd be a great quarterback for the Dolphins. Little did I know they would pass on him twice. <laughs> Thanks a lot. 
So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. First time that UCF has faced a power conference opponent in the season opener at home since facing number Drew Brees and number 22 Purdue in 1999. Well, no wonder I missed that one. It's the prehistoric days, uh, 20 years ago. I was ago, there. So. I was there. I, uh, I remember it very well. Had a fun time. And then, you know, unfortunately, the game didn't go well, but I bought it. It was a fun <laughs> time. And that was the first game post Dante Culpepper era. That was when Big Penn made his first start for UCF. Yeah. So. Starting. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, Murph, how about that memory on like very few hours of sleep from staying up from Australian Open, huh? Listen, you I, do that I, to I, yourself. I expect nothing less out of the UCF Athletics best historian, Eric Lopez. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, Murph, we got a new assistant coach for baseball with some major league experience, don't we? Yeah, you know, as much as people want to talk about football, you know, that is 226 days away, whereas UCF baseball. Only 23 days away at this point, two days away from Friday's media day that's happening at the stadium on Friday. And yes, UCF does have its new volunteer assistant coach. It's Andy Barquette. Uh, Andy's a longtime uh, minor league coach and manager uh, for about 11 years with the, the Jacksonville Suns, the Marlins, uh, I think, double-A affiliate. You got the Indianapolis Indians, the Cleveland, the Cleveland uh, triple-A affiliate. Uh, but the last two years, Andy was the assistant hitting coach for the Boston Red Sox, who had some pretty good offenses in the past two years and then obviously won a championship in 2018. He's now the new UCF off, uh, volunteer assistant coach. He replaces Barrett Serrato, who is going to Kent State to be the recruiting coordinator. Uh, Barrett actually never was a, a, a coach for a game here. He joined in August after the promotion for Ted Tom. Uh, so, uh, so Barrett's career is short. Now Andy Barquette comes in. Uh, we'll see what happens. Certainly, you would love for him to be paid, but it doesn't look like that'll happen until at least 2021 because the NCAA uh, they just can't get their eggs in a ba- in a basket all over paying a third assistant coach for baseball and softball. It's a disaster. It's a sham. Uh, it's too bad, but it is what it is for now. Anyway, I can't wait for baseball. Well, given that he's you know spent the last few years with the Boston Red Sox, I don't think he's he's probably not hurting for cash, is what I'm thinking. At least as of I, right now. I don't know. Well, based, I mean, based got, on the photo, he, I mean, he's hanging out with Mookie Betts. I mean, he should be all right. right? <laughs> I, I mean, got people maybe, on Twitter being like, "Wow, we hired Mookie Betts." <laughs> maybe, maybe Mookie Betts will come by the John. You know, see his old coach. <laughs> so, Why not? No, no, no trash cans. Uh, in in addition to that, so. Well, but Mer- now you bring. Now, yeah, there we go. There's the <laughs> material. Um, what are you? What are you, Jeff? Working for Daily Stampede? Come on, I mean, come on. They beat you to the punch. Um. Murph, Media Day, baseball. You mentioned Media Day Friday. I can't believe it. What oh, is baby. The number, what, is, <laughs> uh, what is the num- the biggest question or the number one question you're going to ask either to a respective player or to Coach Lovelady that you're looking forward to asking and getting an answer from on Media Day? <laughs> probably like, probably like, who the heck are you? <laughs> well, I mean, sort of. Not that not that deriding, not that deri- you know, derisive, but uh, – I sort of want to look at like coach what is so what exactly is your offense like who is on first like what is on second I don't know who's on third I, I really don't uh, because really right now as far as I think you know guys who are locked into their spots we had heard we, we know that Dalton Wingo is going to be out there in the outfield somewhere and then we thought maybe Ben, ben McCabe would be the starting catcher but he didn't apparently look great in fall ball so Josh Crouch might be the catcher back there. 
and, and other than that, I really don't know if there's a lockdown spot in that starting nine. So we really, we, it's a, it's a, almost a, a clean slate for this offense. That's really, you know, and and don't even get me started on all the, all the pitchers coming back from injury. I mean, really, this this entire team is one big question mark of of just unknown quality and quantity. I have no idea. That's what I'm looking forward to. Is like, coach, what what who are you? What what is happening? That's my question. What what is going on? Yeah. Well, we will have some more answers as time comes up, but. Um... A little Again. disappointed, Murph, that the Roy, the who's going to win the Royal Rumble didn't come up and just because oh, it's probably. Will if you stop? Rain, I'm just going to eye roll and then get out of there. Save it for uh, when, save it for when WrestleMania comes around. Seriously, now when is that? By the way, April? Yeah. Oh my! That's in Tampa, Jeff. The, no, and, and not only that, not only that, it's on my birthday, April the fifth. Oh my god! Nobody cares. A lick about that. What they do care about is that UCF baseball plays a home series that weekend, I believe against Wichita State, really yeah. compromising Greg Lovelady's ability and mine as well to make it down to Tampa that night to watch WrestleMania. And I, you know, I'm sure, I, I wonder if he looked at the schedule, matched up the dates, and kind of got a little sad knowing that he's probably not going to go to WrestleMania just an hour and a half down I-4. Yeah, well... Nonetheless, we have that. We got plenty more to look at. We've got basketball uh, coming up. Let's yeah, let's move on out of there real quick. We've got uh, and uh, plenty more to talk about. We'll be releasing another uh, all-decade team this week. Hi. And uh, we're gonna. It's gonna be the women's basketball team. We're gonna. I'm gonna try and uh, try and run it by Tristan Spurlock and see what he thinks about it. And and uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, yeah, like we said, spring sports coming around with tennis firing up. It's gonna be fun. So. As we wrap up here on the Black and Gold Bannerhead Podcast, we want to thank you all so much for listening once again. Uh, you can follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Right. And I just want and I want to state for the record, I like that the jerseys look nice, the Citronaut looks nice. I just care more about winning and losses than how a team looks in their jersey. I don't as long as they win. That's all Okay, I congratulations on the most lukewarm take possible to close out the show. They, you can follow us collectively at UCF underscore banner <laughs> and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banner. Uh, and don't forget also to follow Luke Saris, Luke Saris SBN on Twitter. Follow Derek Wharton. He's got a basketball photo gallery, the first of the year up right now. You owe it to yourself to check it out. It's amazing. <laughs> underscore DS Wharton on Twitter. Make sure you follow Jeremy Brenner, Jeremy Brenner on Twitter for uh, the latest on UCF basketball as well. Um, and you can also follow Squints underscore 15, Anthony Lenahan. We're going to be working on some football breakdowns, I'm sure, um, very soon. And then uh, Andrew Gluchov as well. I want to thank, uh, again, Drew for his work. Uh, he had his first story up uh, a couple weeks ago on the actual top 10 rivalries in the American Athletic Conference. Statboy Drew on Twitter. Make sure you follow him there um, as well. So for all of us at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And we will catch you next week.